Well, hey there, all you triathlon freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. On today's show, we have a bunch of different topics. I've been messing around with ketones, exogenous ketones, powders. That's the stuff that when you go into ketosis, when you've gone so low carb that your body starts burning body fat 100% for your energy, uh, that's what your body fat turns into, and your uh, your body fuels off of that. It's a really bizarre chemical. It's made by your body, but anyway, they can make it in a lab as well. And it's been the latest thing, and I've tried out two different companies worth, and we're going to uh, talk about how I've used it on some workouts and also just throughout the day about how it suppresses appetite and how it gives you energy. What it seems to do and then also maybe what it doesn't do and we'll give you some tips on that and also let's see we have a little bit of news about Jordan Rapp and Norseman we've got something about kung fu nuns <laughs> biking their own kind of version of the almost like the tour de france but in the himalayans himalayan mountains and also some news on the tokyo olympics got a mixed relay coming mixed gender and also, I have some solutions for you. If you ever notice that your skin is itchy after you start working out, really itchy for a while, almost like hives, and then it kind of goes away after you almost scratch yourself to death, that's actually a thing. I've got it. I did some research and figured out what it is, and I'm going to share that with you. Also, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how to use LED lights, blue LED well, they're white, but they're actually they're a form of blue. And it's this thing where uh, people are all concerned that they keep you up late at night. And actually, it's not that bad. And second of all, you can actually use it to your advantage and also how to use an LED line in your training cave to cut down on heat, to stay cool. And also a little tip on uh, green tea and why green tea is different than coffee and how it keeps you going uh, longer and stronger with uh, no crash. There's a certain chemical in it that does that. And then also there's somebody doing a research project for PhD, for uh, her PhD, and she's got an email call out there for people to, um, to get in touch with her. So all that plus a whole lot more in the Zen Try podcast. Here we go. You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. All right, Zen Tri Samurai. Let's get down to business. First, I have not introduced myself in many, many episodes. So I thought I would do that real quickly. Why are you listening to Zen in the Art of Triathlon? Well, this is the podcast that is put on by somebody that actually does long distance training and racing. And I go through what it takes to get it done, both physically and mentally. And we are literally and figuratively, figuratively on the bleeding edge of research. And it's like, if we're going to get to it in a little bit, people are trying to do research projects on, on us. So any information that we can share with those, those, those of us that have been through it and have a lot of experience can share with those of you that are trying to figure it out. 
it, it helps build the community and it helps more of us figure it out because it's actually less complicated than you think in certain areas, but there's some tips that are just crucial. And that's what I do. Uh, my history is, I think it's uh, 15 Ironmans, about 10 or 12 of those are self-supported completely uh, solo, uh, bringing all my own gear and doing it all myself, which is harder than doing an actual Ironman. And then also um, swam 22 miles across Lake Tahoe nonstop. Lake Tahoe is 22 miles across from south to north, and a friend and I swam it with a support boat, and it's at over 6,000 feet elevation. And that's one mile longer than the English Channel, and it's fresh water, so you don't float as well. There are no sharks. <laughs> but I also have asthma and high altitude. And coming from, I, I live at sea level. I live at 200, 300 feet above sea level. And I just went up there and swam across it. So that was difficult. And um, run a 100-mile ultra trail run. And I've run the 50-mile, and, and this is in the woods on uh, rolling terrain, and 50-mile also and a bunch of bunch of bunch of times on the 50 miler and um also i've done a 100 mile mountain bike race and i'm trying to think of something else crazy that i've done we did the ragnar 200 mile relay with just a four-man team and i've swam um open water uh butterfly non-stop across uh yeah 2.4 miles and also, I've swam butterfly across La Jolla Cove, uh, across and back, which is, I think it's like a mile each way, in rolling uh, saltwater surf. And that's just a short list of the incredibly stupid and crazy things that I've done. And I've got my eyes on lots more things. So, I am your host, <laughs> here to spill the deets, the details on how you I can do this too. Uh, I grew up as, you know, an average kind of like athletic guy. I was really into swimming, obviously. And, um, but I am not talented at the long distance stuff. But over time, I've just kind of buckled down and paid a lot of attention to how to do it from interviews and um, that I've done or have listened to with other pros and kind of figured out a whole bunch of this stuff. And I just want to share it with everybody because it is a beautiful world uh, being, an being an endurance athlete. So to share it with you guys is awesome. And let's, uh, let's quit allowing myself to introduce myself and let's get on to some cool stuff that is going on. Um, yeah, to get away from me, let's talk about Jordan Rapp for a second. Jordan Rapp has been interviewed on the show maybe twice. He's um, one of the top, top, top uh, pro Ironman racers, and he's got an engineering background, which I like because we use a lot of science and engineering to um, on this show to figure out you know why certain things work and why you should do uh, one thing versus another. I've got a bachelor of science and a master's of. It's kind of like science, Masters of Ag, in, um, from a major research university, Texas A&M University. And that's my hobby. I work in computer science. I work in IT. And engineering and science is what pays the bills, and it's actually what works. <laughs> so a lot of what I figured out to bring uh, myself up to the level of being an ultra-endurance athlete is, to, um, is science and engineering. And that's why we like Jordan Rapp. And Jordan 
is going to do something really different. I'm a little bit, um, I wouldn't say, it's kind of not concerned because it's a natural process, as the Canadians say, but he might be kind of fading out of the uh, limelight of this prime of just a high-end, super turbo, hyper-performance guys and kind of backing off that a little bit uh, because he is doing a non-Ironman brand race. He's doing the Norseman triathlon, which I think is, it's Norway. It's not, yeah, it's got to be Norway, not Finland. And uh, they jump off of a ferry. It is, but in Texas, we call it butt-ass coal. <laughs> we got a lot of other words for it. And then they, um, they it's basically an Ironman, but you have support crews on the bike, and then it's a run up a mountain in uh, all of Norway, and it's pretty brutal. It's one of those extreme races. Uh, they've started trying to do one like it in Canada. No, um, Alaska. And then, uh, but the Norseman one is famous. And also, um, I'm trying to think. Swiss man, Celt man is uh, the other two versions of these things. Uh, the SOS triathlon is kind of a like a long half. And I've done that a couple times. And the um, and that's in upstate New York, mid-state New York. Anyway, it's uh, really uh, cool to see him doing this race. And it's because they don't have many pros that do it. And it's already got plenty of attention. It sells out really quickly. But it'll be cool to see what he does. And he's riding. He's sponsored by Diamondback. And they have that crazy Andean bike. The one that looks like a Ducati. And will he be riding that? Because the bike ride has got a lot of hill climbing. Will he do it because he's sponsored by them? And he kind of, I think he kind of works for Diamondback now too. And it's something to keep your eye on. So keep your eye on that. All right, let's talk about uh, ketones. So you've undoubtedly heard about the uh, keto diet. And this is where if, if you ever... My first real experience with this stuff is not eating so that I could do a colonoscopy, right? So you can't eat for 24 hours and you get really, really hungry. And after four, five, six hours, actually the hunger kind of subsides. It's really weird. And then you're, you're weak, but you're not, you're not really hungry anymore and there's this whole thing, well, you need carbs to survive, right? Well, actually, you don't. What happens is, is once your body's depleted of carbs, which you only have like uh, 2,000, I think you only between 1,000 and 2,000 uh, calories of carbs stored, which gives you about an hour and a half of uh, workout time. And that's why a lot of people bonk about an hour and a half, two hours in uh, to stuff. Then... Um, your body switches over to a different form of metabolism. As it starts burning primarily body fat, the body fat releases something called uh, ketones. And it's a completely different type of fuel. It's got more caloric punch to it than fat even, than, than uh, protein, carbs, or fat. And that's a big claim. I don't know how much more, you know, is it like twofold, is it whatever? But anyway, it's not the point. Um, well, it is kind of the point. Uh, 
that gap, I was explaining this to somebody today, the gap in um, when you run out of carbs and then when your body switches over to uh, burning body fat, if, you've, if you never do it, if you hardly ever do it and then you do it, it's very painful because your body thinks it's dying. If you do it frequently, then it actually... Uh, I guess it's your mitochondria are um, better become used to burning uh, to seeing ketones and using them so they're more efficient at processing them and then you can um, pick up that energy source and use it and uh, the gap becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and then um, so you can be what they call metabolically flexible and go back and forth and not be so dependent on carbs. And actually, I've um, they, there's a test you can do where they put you on a treadmill, put a mask over you, and you run. And I guess you could bike too. And it can tell from your off-gassing by your exhalation. Carbs, if you're burning carbs for, for energy, then the, um, that makes up one kind of chemical. And if you're burning in, when you're out, on your out-breath, and if you're burning fat for energy it's um, making up another chemical. And so there's, as you breathe out, they have this mask on you and it's a hose to a machine and then it calculates what percentage, it can tell what percentage at your effort levels. You're doing a one out of 10, a five out of 10 effort, you know, a nine out of 10, like on a treadmill. Then it can tell how many, what percentage of your fuel, of your energy is coming from carbs or from body fat. And you do this, you should do this test fasted a little bit so you've got no fuel in your stomach. It's just coming, it's coming from your body, what's stored in your body. And I've been tested years ago and I was a very high carb burner. And they said, yeah, you can go about, and, and if you burn through your carbs really fast, like, like I was, uh, my metabolism was doing, then you run out of stored energy really fast and you can't switch over to burning body fat because your body isn't used to using body fat. Your demand for carbs is so high. And then when you run out of carbs, um, it's kind of like you have a really big carb motor. And then when the, the motor runs, and it's very fuel inefficient, and then when it runs out of carbs, it goes, ah, you know, and chokes out. So the alternative is the other end of the spectrum is somebody that, uh, doesn't burn hardly any carbs at all, and they burn body fat at the same speed, the same body weight, they're the same height, everything as you. But at a nine-minute mile, they're burning. Um, you're burning almost all of your energy from carbs, and they're burning almost all of, all of their energy from body fat. The thing is, is you have like thirty thousand calories, or some, some ridiculous number. You can run. I think it's like um, twenty marathons in a row, or something like that. On uh, on on your own body fat, even if you're really skinny. And so the theory is, is to get more and more used to burning your own body fat for fuel. And it's doable by your diet. So how you eat uh, while sitting around mostly, and then also a little bit of how you eat while training, teaches your body to quit being so dependent on carbs. And that's why everybody's trying to get away from carbs all the time. And um, also, the more carbs you eat just all day long, 
the more your body becomes numb to carbs uh, through insulin resistance. Insulin uh, helps you burn off the carbs. And the more carbs you take in, the more insulin it takes. And then, But your body, your cells in your body go, um, insulin again, and it gets numb to it. And that's how people develop type 2 diabetes. So it's like you think a normal person is like, um, you know, somebody that's fat playing around video games all day long and uh, drinking Cokes and eating potato chips and candy, right? It's constant exposure exposure to sugar. It's not really the sugar so much. It's the insulin taking the sugar and the pancreas, which generates the insulin and the insulin itself just gets tired and your body gets numb to it. And it takes more and more and more insulin to get the job done until it just completely blows out. (laughs) And that's it in a nutshell. And I know all this because my wife is actually type one diabetic and that's where she got it picked up a uh, autoimmune disorder where her body attacked her own pancreas due to no no eating disorder or anything like that um she was eating fine um it's just a thing and uh so i know a lot about the diabetes uh, stuff so we get back to ketones so the gap Especially if you're really carb dependent, trying to get off of carbs and get into uh, using either really low carb and a lot of fat, which some people say you know, hovering around that line is actually pretty miserable. You ought to just either go into ketosis and that's where you've switched over to it's really low carb to the point where your body goes, you know what, I'm going to just go off of ketones now. And then, um, uh, moving over to that area is painful. They call it the keto flu. You feel like shit. And over the past, starting about five years ago, they companies started making in labs uh, ketones to kind of expose your body to them and get used to them. And then your mitochondria get used to using them. And then you're like, oh, it's not that bad. And you can start dropping the uh, carbs needed because you have energy and you feel pretty good because of the ketones that you've been exposing yourself to. Um, so they used to be really expensive and now they're just kind of expensive. And I've been on a quest trying, now that they're cheaper, I can actually buy some and start using them. And I feel like they've um, kind of ironed out the, um, the issues here. And that reminds me, um, I am not a medical professional. I'm not a doctor. I am not, I would consider myself a nutrition, um, I wouldn't say expert, but uh, aficionado. I know a lot about nutrition, but I am not uh, degreed or anything like that. So anything you hear on this podcast about me talking about um, stuff messing around with nutrition, I want you to remember two things. Is One, there's a good chance that I don't know what I'm talking about, even though I think I do. And two, your metabolism is not something to mess around with. Um, I've done that. I've done like extreme kind of metabolism stuff and it is dangerous. You can mess up your thyroid and that's what regulates your hormone system because you stress out your thyroid and, um, and that, uh, that stress on your thyroid can shut your thyroid down. It could screw it up. So if you hear anything on the show that you want to try, make sure you listen to other podcasts with a grain of salt about ketosis and how to do it in ketosis for athletes. And, and we aren't just normal athletes. We are triathletes, which means we burn a high rate of carbs. We need way more carbs than the average person. So we can't do 
low carb like other people can our our low carb is a lot higher than other people's low carb and that's a fact so that disclaimer out of the way you mess around with this stuff you're just be cautious i don't want to say you're playing with fire but be cautious and one thing that i heard that was really really interesting that kind of changed my mindset on this is people have the wrong mindset and this works for any kind of nutrition i don't i hate the word diet but this is any kind of nutrition angle is you try it and don't consider let's say you try to go vegan right um or no cheese or um you're trying to do you know all you want to go fruitarian <laughs> all fruit all the time um, or you want to you know eat a leaf of kale every day just something then you don't consider it failure if you um you try it and then you, you know, you're like, oh, I can't do this anymore, right? Don't say that you failed and that, you know, you can't do it ever again. No, the right way to do it is, oh, I did it for three days. And then now you're taking a break. And the next time you're going to try to do it for a few more days, like four or five days. And then you're going to, and either it'll take for good or you'll be like, oh, after, you know, um, you try it again. But each time that you do something like this, your taste buds, your mitochondria and all that stuff get more and more adapted. So it's easier every time. So it's kind of like running. The first time you go out and run, you're training for a marathon, you don't run an entire marathon, right? You run like a mile and then you go, man, that sucked. And then you go, okay, um, next time you go out and run, you run a little bit longer and then a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And then after some time, you're actually like a runner and you run all the time and it's just like a daily thing and you don't think about it anymore, right? So that's good mindset. All right, let's get down to the ketones. Oh my God. So after uh, listening to a lot of interviews and podcasts about different ones, I settled on trying this one brand called Perfect Keto. And it's not cheap. It was 60 something dollars for 15 servings. The container showed up and I'm like, that's it? And uh, even though I kind of knew that, but anyway, I got the chocolate sea salt one and I talk about it later in the training log, I think. And I actually like this one. This one really seemed to work. Um, I had almost instant energy, like within 15 minutes and was kind of bouncing off the walls. Like, whoa, this is really, really weird. Now, if you take it, you know, you're supposed to take it to help you ease into, um, ketosis and going you know no carb but also athletes are known to be taking this stuff lately um, on top of carbs as because it's a whole other extra source of energy so let's say you're in a race and you want to double up you know on your power your output because you're doing something fast then um hey you know this supposedly uh you could do that all right anyway the thing about ketones is ketones taste like shit um, they taste like gasoline mixed with lighter fluid mixed with, um, what's it, a comet, you know, the stuff you scrub, I used to scrub a bathtub with when I was a kid. So, um, it tastes, uh, pretty damn nasty and they're doing their best and they just naturally taste that way. There's nothing they can do about it apparently. But, um, this one's chocolate sea salt flavor. So they've added salt. And I'll get that in a second. Um, stevia, which is a sweetener, 
chocolate, a little bit of chocolate, and citric acid. And I figured out this is like $4 a serving. Um, now, the other thing is I think ketones are, um, they're unstable, like uh, electrically. I forgot. I don't know. Their, chemi- their electrical chemical bond is um, unstable, and they want to attach to something. So uh, salt, they, put, they mix it with some kind of salts, and then they bond to the salts. And salt's good if you're going low-carb anyway because um, it helps you retain water that you're going to pee out if you go low carb. And the, um, there's apparently another flavor of this called, uh, peaches and cream, which I have not tried. Now I got to say after a couple of doses of using this, I totally got over the flavor and was actually craving it. So, um, oh, I mixed it with coffee, the chocolate one. And this stuff works. It works really, really well. Um, I noticed if um, I was just taking it uh, during the day, then um, suppressed appetite a little bit, wasn't hungry. Um, and then if I took it with a workout, um, I felt like I could breathe a whole lot better. This, this stuff reduces oxygen re- requirement of your body, and you can breathe a whole lot better, which is really bizarre. Okay. So then I was like, I was upset that how much this costs because this stuff is awesome and I want to keep using it. But I started searching around and it seems like from the same lab, but it's a different company, is a um, another brand that was like half the price. And I've taken it twice now. Oh, I did a three hour bike ride on the original stuff, that perfect keto and uh, felt, <laughs> I felt kind of weak. But also, oh, the mood enhancement. Oh my gosh, it is dramatic. Like you feel anti, like you've taken a Xanax, but you're not dopey. Um, You just feel good and positive and everything's cool. But instead of like marijuana or something like that, where like you feel like that, but also you don't want to do anything, you feel good and everything else. But also you have energy, Like, like you just ate sugar or something like that. You're just like, whoa, this is really, really cool. Okay. Now, the one I'm trying next is Insta Ketones from Julian Bakery. And this is the Orange Burst Caffeine-Free. And I got to admit, I like this flavor a lot. This is more like a kind of a citrus Gatorade kind of flavor. And this was almost half the price. So I got 30 servings for 70 bucks and I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that I'm, uh, that it starts working better and I'll update the next podcast if it actually does. Um, so I've tried different strategies with this stuff and, oh, I had a PR on my swim. I swam almost a 118 per 100 yards pace (laughs) for an hour. So 4,550 yards in one hour flat. And again, 4,550 yards in an hour flat. And um, I couldn't believe it. So um, the energy is definitely there. The thing is, um, when you first start taking it, it kind of, uh, if you're not used to it, it can kind of make you feel sick to your stomach. So they say the first time you ever take it, take like half a serving. 
and then work your way up. Uh, another tip is to um, uh, make it, if you take it just by, by itself, it, it'll hit you and then it'll go away in like an hour or so. And the recommendation is to mix it with MCT oil or MCT powder, which is a medium chain triglyceride, which is coconut oil really. And that slows it down. And actually coconut oil turns into, MCT oil turns into ketones itself um, on its own. And also the Insta ketones, the second one, this orange one that I'm looking at has, um, it's got some amino acids in it, which is really good. It's got taurine, um, monk fruit. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so I'll have more on the next episode. I'm a big fan of this stuff. And after messing around with different things, the current thing I'm going to try is uh, I work out about twice a day and you can take it up to three times a day. And I'm going to try it uh, for my workouts and see if I can do workouts without any fuel and see if that um, speeds up my uh, fat burning. It, I got to say, man, the mood boost is just, whoa, it's awesome. I love that. Okay. And let's move on to something else. Where to go? We have uh, the Kung Fu Nuns. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, hundreds of nuns. I think it's like 400 nuns are, oh man, the, the article got taken away, got taken down. Anyway, they're uh, biking for like the fourth year in a row um, across the Himalayas to raise awareness of um, human trafficking and girls' rights, women's rights in the area like Nepal. And they are from a uh, Buddhist sect um, where their leader, uh, oh, who's the really famous one right now? I forgot his name. Anyway, uh, where their leader is, um, said, Hey, women can be monks too. And if a woman's a monk, then they're a nun. That's what they call them. And also to, uh, up their safety to keep them, uh, you know, their part to, keep them personally safe. He also let them train and encourage them, I guess, to train in martial arts. So you've got uh, nuns that know how to do Kung Fu and are also riding hundreds of miles in the Himalayas, <laughs> riding uh, out there, uh, raising money uh, for a cause. And it just really makes you think, you know, it, makes, it gives you kind of a Zen moment, like, wow, that is really amazing. And what people can do um, when you give them permission, and it's just amazing. So many people are, are uh, held back by ourselves or held back by others, saying you can't do something, and we all want to do amazing stuff. And let's see, in the Olympics, I think it's 2020 in Tokyo, we have uh, something really interesting happening, a mixed relay in the triathlon. And... What it looks like it'll be, I don't know what distance it is, if it's a sprint or Olympic distance, but they're doing um, one gender first, does all of the um, the swim and then the bike and then the run, and then they hand off 
uh, are they tag team or something? The um, the the other gender, right? And I don't know if they're going to force it like all you know, it's all girls first or all boys first, and then the um, the uh, other gender does the uh, the second half or what? How they're actually going to do it? But it's really exciting, and they're doing this in addition to the uh, main triathlon. Um, the regular, you know, Olympic triathlon. And what's interesting is there's theories on like, who are they going to, it is a medal, you know, it goes towards medal counts, which people seem to be fascinated with, but are they going to do it, uh, before or after the regular triathlon? And it seems like if it's, that's just dependent on two people. So somebody could pick up somebody else's slack. They might do it second. Um, because it's not as quite as important in a weird way as the uh, the original triathlon. All right, we uh, have a medical update. Check this out. I've noticed for years that sometimes when I start running or biking, uh, my skin starts itching, and itches really, really badly. And I looked it up finally <laughs> after all these years, and. It's a um, it's a condition that some people have, um, where if you if you warm up too quickly, your like your body heats up too quickly, your uh, your histamine uh, receptors, I guess, uh, overreact to the temperature change. And it's like an allergic reaction. It's like having hives, like if you have a pollen allergy and it makes your skin uh, red and itchy. It's, uh, or, you know, like poison ivy kind of thing. It's like, um, it's the exact same thing. And I can tell you that a good way for me to get it is I'm inside where it's cold. And then I um, go outside where it's hot and I start running fast. My body heats up really quickly, right? The cold temperature from inside to the warm temperature, then add it on top of that, exercising really hard, um, start heating up, and I will start itching. I itched today running a little bit. But what's so cool is knowing what's causing it. So the cure is to take longer to uh, transition into a warm environment and then take longer to get up to your full effort Um you know, don't try to be running as fast as you can, uh, you know, as soon as you can. Or, man, indoors on the bike is one that gets me. And the um, the thing is, this is actually a really nice upside. You can improve, actually, your training by warming up slower and taking your time warming up. It improves your fat burning, too. And uh, we all should be doing this. So I've noted, once I learned this uh, a few weeks ago... And I've been implementing it, you know, taking my time warming up there. I've been having better workouts anyway. And I'm like, man, you know, sometimes the uh, every uh, cloud has a silver lining. You know, every yin has its yang. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, this is actually nice that I, I, can see, I can see the positive side of this. It's slowing me down to start off. And uh, it works. It's absolutely uh, crazy that it actually works. If I take my time warming up and I make sure I stay cool longer, um, my skin doesn't itch and at all. It's really weird. Okay, let's see. We also have 
check this out. Blue LED lights. Okay. Um, if you can remember, LED lights have not been around forever. It's and LED flashlights and all that stuff. So a long time they were blue and red and green. And then they kind of figured out that, that with blue, fine, I remember this was about 15 years ago, with blue, they figured out if they mess with the blue a lot, that the blue can appear kind of white. And because that was the big barrier is how to make white um, LED lights. And so finally they did it, but you can't tell you might be able to tell, but the a white LED light is actually blue. And it's just been modified so much. It looks white, but there's a very slight tint of blue. Now, what this does is it messes up um, your energy levels. If your eyes, being that we're animals, we see blue, just a tint of blue, then we're like, blue sky, it's time to wake up. <laughs> which is a problem. Uh, we've got LED uh, computer screens now and LED lights in houses, and they're saying, oh, man, it's like the worst thing ever. It's like smoking cigarettes with your eyes. You're all going to die. And um, it's really not that bad, but it is it is real. I think you can get kind of used to it, and then it doesn't bother you anymore. You don't even think about it. But, uh, yeah, blue sky means like, yeah, let's get up and let's go do things. And... Uh, so there's these things that change your sky, your uh, colors of your monitor, kind of more orangey. I've got it on my phone, for example. Helps you just fall asleep better. Well, that's all great. But I've noticed that to up, if I get up in the morning, I want to get on the bike or I want to get on the treadmill in my training room, which I'm sitting in right now. We've got <laughs> a bike and a treadmill and three fans we got the ceiling fan, we got a big uh, fan on a stand, and then a uh, uh, desktop fan that's also on the ground. And um, get up, you know, 4.30 in the morning, start getting your stuff together, and get on the bike, get on the treadmill, and you're kind of dopey and tired. I go in my training room in here and surf the internet for a little bit and drink a cup of coffee and with this LED light that we bought and put in here, um, it wakes me up a whole lot better, right? So now I'm using I'm using engineering. I'm like, hmm, I'm going to take a bad and use it for good, kind of like the itchy thing. And it really works. It's pretty nice. And on top of that, we moved into this house. The, the light in the room is attached to the ceiling fan, and it's one of these overly fancy uh, ceiling fans that has four light bulbs hanging off the bottom of it. It's, these are big in Texas, these ceiling fans, because it's so hot. So a ceiling fan can cool a room by like 10 degrees, very little electricity because of the breeze it makes. And, um, and in Texas, we need that because it's so hot. And the, um, the thing is, is four light bulbs are like 60-watt light bulbs. You know, light bulb regular, they, these, they are incandescent light bulbs. Well, when you you know um, that they're actually really hot. So when you, like, you, know, you try to unscrew one that's on, it burns your fingers. That's hot and so hot to the point of they said that one thing that people don't understand if they live where it's cold, um, that replacing your incandescent light bulbs with, um, with uh, what are they, the compact fluorescents or these LED light bulbs, um, you're losing a source of heat 
uh, throughout your house. They're actually little heaters. They're all distributed throughout your house. Your house is going to be colder um, in the winter because of these things. So maybe in the winter, leave them uh, and switch them out to um, to you know the more energy efficient stuff in the summer. Okay, but this is a big tip right here, along with uh, helping you wake you up. I'm sitting right under this fan on my bike. I got four light bulbs over me, and knowing physics and knowing science and engineering, I'm I'm sitting here going, you can't really tell, you know, while you're on the bike riding, um, because you don't know any different. You know, you don't have anything to compare it to. There's only the one the one room. But I'm like, these things are generating heat. This fan is blowing the heat onto me. This is stupid. Why am I why am I using a fan that's blowing heat? <laughs> right? It's counterproductive. I'm sweating to death in a room trying to ride this bike directly under it. So one of the first things I did when we moved in is I told Emily, we need to replace these light bulbs with um, LED. And I argued with her about it. She's like, why would you want to do that? And I'm like, you don't understand. These are, these things are hot and it's generating a lot of heat. And I could, if, if I really felt for it, I could feel, I could feel it. Um, And that was with just, I turned off I'd unscrewed all the light bulbs except for one. And I could feel that one light bulb generating heat and being uh, blown on me just a little bit. And then, uh, so I went to the hardware store, got a 100-watt uh, LED light bulb, which I do not recommend. The thing is, like, really bright. It was uh, overkill. And I screwed that in. And so now this thing has uh, a one LED light bulb. It has one LED in it. Um, it's 100-watt. But it's cool to the touch. You can actually unscrew it and screw it back in with your bare hand, right? And so when I do, I can tell. I'm sitting here pedaling on a bike, and I can tell that it's actually cooler. So for those of you out there that are looking for ways to keep your um, training room cool, uh, if you haven't switched out to an LED LED lighting in your uh, training cave yet, that is a major upgrade because the lights are heating up the room. Otherwise, if you don't uh, change them out, if you're using incandescents. Oh, we got an alert. So, oh, that was an interesting uh, email. And then, uh, um, let's see. Let's do uh, one more, and then I need to take a break and do some coaching. Uh, Green tea. Uh, What is it about green tea that... Everybody's like, it's so great. Well, actually, it has a chemical in it called L-theanine, which actually you can go buy at the grocery store in the uh, vitamins area, which um, I've, I've done. And L-theanine is a, an amino acid um, that is occur, occurs naturally in, um, in green tea. Probably all teas, but very strongly in green tea. Okay, so now... Coffee doesn't have this. And so coffee, the caffeine in coffee or like a Coke, you know, especially a Coke, but like a Diet Coke or whatever, just regular caffeine, spikes you and then crashes you, right? Well, green tea has a special property with this. What L-theanine does in it is it levels out the, um, the uh, caffeine. It has an effect. It's got a stabilizing effect with the caffeine. And it actually... If you just take L-theanine, um, it's really weird. If you take it without caffeine, L-theanine relaxes you. If you take it with caffeine, it helps you focus. But without, it eliminates the jitter 
of regular caffeine and that, that's in coffee. So what I've noticed is I've made green tea, cups of green tea, several cups, and then made that into my um, bike bottle for long workouts. Or I've used it you know, on runs and stuff. I let it chill and then uh, use it. Or you can get green tea powder or uh, green tea uh, supplements or whatever. And it's really interesting. Um, it gives you energy uh, for your workout or whatever you're doing. But it doesn't um, give you jitters. So it's one thing I really recommend. Your next um, workout where you're going to go for a long bike ride, make green tea um, in the uh, you know coffee mug in the microwave. Heat up some water. and Green tea you brew for like four minutes. And um, make a couple cups of green tea. Let it chill and then pour it into your bike bottle. Um, and... Then mix your fuel, your maltodextrin, your ketones, or whatever you got in there. And then um, use that as the water. Or mix it in with your water somehow on your next long bike ride. Two, three hours, four hours, something like that. And then notice the difference of like how it makes you feel compared to caffeine. Like if you had caffeine in your gels, if you are doing coffee or something like that. It is you feel really good and uh, energy, but no like jittery high. And you might even miss the jittery high, except for like, you'll notice you have a really positive attitude and what it is, it's the L-theanine and L-theanine is actually really cheap. And you can, like I said, you can go to the grocery store and buy it and you can go to um, GNC and buy it and go to all different kinds of places and buy it. All right, let's uh, take a break from this, bring you uh, a little sponsor note, and we'll be back in a minute. Hold on. All right, we are back. Woo, man, just came in from a run, and we're going to do some uh, sponsors here, but don't forget, after the sponsors, I'm going to talk about Chrissy Wellington, the uh, four-time Ironman world champion who never lost an Ironman, doing her first ultra marathon, and also the... uh, the just a quick blurb about the woman who cheated by deflating a competitor's tires at uh, Syracuse, Syracuse seventy point three. It's in all the news. I have a little bit of uh, an opinion on that that uh, you might find interesting. A little bit of of reading into the apology that's that tells you about people's true and true feelings and such and where they're really at. So hang around after the uh, after the sponsor biz here. But, and we'll get to that, but let's see, we have salt stick. Okay, so salt stick, it's very, 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 very important that you add electrolytes to your water. If you do customized fuel or you do no fuel and just water, um, being able to add your own electrolytes at the, uh, the amount that you want uh, is really, really important. If you don't have electrolytes in your water and you just drink plain water, it'll run through you and actually pull your electrolytes out with it by, uh, I think it's by osmosis. It goes, oh, I'm going to take this other, uh, I'm going to pull electrolytes out. (laughs) And so you want electrolytes in there. And it's really easy to do with salt stick. Um, They sell capsules and also they, oh, the capsules you can break open very easily and add as much or as little as you want to your fuel. I do at least one an hour. In my fuel, make a three-hour fuel bottle. I'll I'll add uh, three capsules 
that I open up and spill the contents into the water so it mixes like really easily. Or you can just take them one at a time. And the really cool thing about salt stick is that it's not just salt. It's not sodium chloride, uh, table salt. It's actually a whole lot of potassium, magnesium, and all this other stuff. And what they did, what they're doing what nobody else does, and that is make their electrolyte balance the exact same ratios of stuff that you sweat out. If you sweat out, I'd have to look up at the graph, but what, you know, let's say you sweat out uh, 40% uh, sodium chloride, then theirs is actually 40% sodium chloride. If uh, then 10% is potassium, then then theirs is 10% po ah, potassium. And that's actually really cool. So you're matching putting in what's going out. Because if you just put salt back in it, you're actually not replacing all the other stuff that you're sweating out. It's really important and it really works. Uh, there was a uh, study where researchers took a bunch of triathletes and gave them, gave half of them uh, the salt stick capsules and the other half just regular sports drink. And uh, the athletes that took the, um, the salt stick capsules finished a 70.3 race and an average of average of 26 minutes faster than the control group. And that's those extra electrolytes in there in the correct ratios. And I came up with this logo. They're going to have to run with this. This, this motto, this mantra is uh, make your water stick with salt stick. How about that? Oh, so you can get 25% off your order with a discount code. So if you go to saltstick.com, right, easy to do, slash Zentry, then you can uh, get to a pop-up that goes, hey, what's the password to get to this super cool site? It's all about Brett and Zen and the Arch Triathlon because we love him so much. And you go, guess what the password is? <laughs> it's Zentry. <laughs> all one word, Zentry. is the password to the website called Zentry. So saltstick.com slash Zentry. Password is Zentry. And that gets you in 25% off. And... Um, even if you live out of the country and you can't you can't um, you can't purchase it, you can't do shipping and stuff like that through that site. You still can find a shop a uh, salt stick dealer at shopsaltstick.com. Man, I have trouble speaking today. And that is uh, the place where you can find a store locator. And on it, you can see uh, thirty countries where they have salt stick. All right, thank you, salt stick, man. I put that in my uh, water bottle last week and I had an epic ride. All right, let's see. Amrita. Amrita is the, um, they make bars that are kind of like lar bars, but way better. They have, um, they're date based, and then they add in all this extra stuff that's uh, like protein and everything. But anyway, they don't use nuts, they use seeds. So if you have a nut allergy, then it's um, you're not gonna have a problem with these. It's really really cool, and also they have ones that are high in protein, and also they use cardamom, which is a spice in them that Christine Lynch, holistic guru, is her name, uh, informed me, and she's 100% right. It actually soothes the stomach, so it's easier to digest stuff. Honestly, you should be taking cardamom on during races if you want to soothe your stomach and not get sick, and. Let's see, easy to digest. Oh, I just ate one just a few minutes ago, the a protein one, because I just went on a run. And the uh, so it's like a recovery bar. Um, they're all natural. They're they're vegan. They're gluten free. All that stuff. It's super easy to digest, like I said, and um, they taste amazing. And um, yeah, they're kind of chewy a little bit, which is easier to eat. And um, 
they're really low in allergens or have no, they're allergen free. So that they, uh, it reduces inflammation, which helps you recover faster. So you can get 20% off with a um, discount code to the Amrita Club. So you can go amritahealthfoods.com slash product slash Amrita dash club. And Kai's walking down the hallway out here. I'm in the training cave again. And he's trying to get Kona, our big black lamb, to go to bed with him. <laughs> A boy and his dog. And dogs. Uh, let's see. Yeah, you can get a nice discount. I think there's a Zen 2017, but I'm not sure about that. And But that's okay. Just do the club and get 20% off. And they have... Um, oh, wait, no. The, the discount code is uh, Amrita Team 2017. There it is. I knew it was in here somewhere. Um, I'm looking at my show notes. 25% off anything on our site, anytime. Bam. They got... Oh, they got the best kits. I, I try not to wear my kit too much because I want it to last forever because it's so cool looking. And socks. All kinds of good stuff. All right, so that's Amrita. Let's do um, a little bit more news that popped up. I forgot to mention it at the top of the show, but this is a really big deal. Chrissy Wellington, four-time Ironman world champion, has not been... She retired from Ironman 2014, I guess, 2013. I can't remember. But anyway, she's so competitive, and uh, I met I met her one time on the track in Boulder, and she was she was intense. Her... And Jody Swallow, and I'm trying to remember somebody else. I've heard um, uh, Angela a, a story about Angela Nath during a race, being like psycho intense, and um, but in person, like she's super super sweet. Uh, I'm trying to think of somebody, anybody else that comes off the top of my head, like viciously intense in training, and I think she retired because. She didn't want to um, tear up her body. She, I mean, you get so competitive and you want to win so bad. And if that's your drive, you can actually, um, you know, injure, wreck your body doing this stuff. So I think one of the reasons, my opinion is, is one of the reasons she retired was to um, chill the F out, <laughs> worried about herself. You know, all this stuff can lead to uh, eating disorders and stuff. Actually, we'll get to that in a minute with somebody else. Um and I think she was teetering on that line, always was. And uh, I think she just, you know, did what she needed to do and got out. And so she's had some space. And um, she ran the London Marathon and got first in her age group uh, last year. And then she said she wanted to kind of keep on going. She enjoyed it so much. Well, there was an ultra marathon. She's never done an ultra marathon before. And an ultra marathon technically is anything over 26.2. But really, it's anything about 30 miles or more. That's usually you know, the next distance is 30 miles and, uh, 50k is kind of the same thing. And they, um, kind of start there. And, um, she said she was going to try this, uh, I pulled up the webpage, run to the tower, race to the tower, sponsored by Heineken this year, uh, race to the tower, which goes, uh, I'm not, I'm not English or British or whatever, so I don't really know how to say this. The Cotswolds, um, which it's a semi-rugged terrain, uh, but it's a double marathon. It's 52, 53 miles. Um, I looked at the hill profile on this thing, and it has seven hills that are each 
if you average them together, they, they tend to average about 700 feet, each one of them, and, that, and then plus other hills. But 700 feet is 70 stories. <laughs> and I'm talking like, this isn't like a gradual hill. This is like a hill. Like you run up to it and here's a hill and it's 70 stories tall. And she um, and had seven of those. And she ran it. And I talked to her on Twitter about it too um, beforehand, just a quick back and forth. And she um, she ran an 835, which is really, it's so good that she got second overall. She only got beat by one guy. Um, there's some interviews where she talked about her training and stuff. But anyway, what's so cool is I cannot promote enough people getting into ultra marathon running and trail running to... Yeah, it could just be trail running. It doesn't even have to be ultra marathon, but it just be off-road trail running to counterbalance the type A a-holeness of uh, that people get worked up about and the competitiveness of of road triathlon is so vicious that um, when you start doing trail running, especially long distance trail running. It becomes so different. It, the attitude is so laid back and so casual because honest, every, pretty much everybody understands that the distance is your biggest competitor and you not screwing up is your other biggest competitor. And whatever other people are doing, that's their own business. You're just out there together, just casual, uh, doing your thing. And... The, um, so this thing where you get, you know, somebody passes you and you try to catch back up with them or, you know, try drafting, you know, or, or um, which is silly, but um, don't help other people, you know, every man for himself out there it is completely opposite of that in trail running. And she said that she absolutely loved it. And, um, yeah, so. She's got the first one on her belt. She's talking about she's probably going to do more of them, and that'll be awesome. She could become uh, legendary. You only have to train about half as much as you do for Ironmans, maybe, to be really good at the 50-mile distance at least. The 100-mile um, is the um, is the Ironman of these things. 50-mile uh, takes about as long as an Ironman, but um, is legit. Uh, Mary Beth Ellis, who's a female pro, did her first Spartan, and she won... Uh, first place, uh, maybe I don't know if she beat all the men, but uh, she said she won more money in that than all of her, than than uh, pr her prize money usually at Kona, and uh, that was pretty interesting. So the, Iron Man really underpays its pros for uh, what you get done in happiness and in money, and the uh, the ultra running and Spartan and stuff like that is really amazing. So. Let's flip the coin and go to the other side of uh, people's behavior. And let's go to some bad behavior. We got Slow Twitch posting an article, breaking the news. Uh, I would have gotten out anyway, whatever website. About um, this lady in the 40 to 44 age group that got caught on video um, deflating a competitor's tire. And they're, they're in contention for... Um, uh, podium so she knew who she was going after she uh went and deflated this other woman's tire and 
this is what you get into with um, the cutthroat, um, the mindset that just permeates road triathlon uh, that doing some off-road stuff can help counterbalance, you know, get you some perspective on things, not treat everything so seriously. Um, so at first she denied it. She was caught on video, though, by the um, the victim's husband was happened to go back to the uh, bike rack area and saw this woman deflating a tire on his wife's bike. Had it on video and everything. Got the race director or something and busted this lady. But um, after a couple of days of everybody going, dude, you did this, you know, lady, <laughs> not dude. Um, she uh, wrote on Facebook to a uh, slow twitch editor. And this, this is a quote from her. I was under so much pressure to perform. I made, and I made a wrong decision. No, no, no. I'm sincerely sorry. And so there's a whole lot of, you know, I'm sincerely sorry. I don't know why I did it. I can't even believe I did it. Uh, and then... Um, I'm not a horrible person. Just I'm just someone that made an impulsive bad decision. I know that I need some, and I know that I need some serious help, right? So that's good. That I know I need some serious help. Um, and then she goes on to say that she thinks she has an eating disorder, and that messes that messes up her brain, and she needs help, and uh, she's not thinking straight, and uh, she uh, can't make good decisions. Um, I don't expect to uh, get back in the sport anytime soon. Um, uh, there was, <laughs> this incident has made me realize how much help I need, right? So there's a whole lot of, I'm, I'm a, I am, uh, oh, she also says, despite being an accomplished athlete and then all this negative, you know, stuff. All right, so there's two things in here. This this is a big thread on slow twitch where people are pointing out that it's kind of you have to look for it, but it's kind of a half-assed apology. There's two things where even if she she thinks she's being um, uh, oh, there's a lot of people that are like, man, this other woman could have gotten seriously hurt by you know a half deflated tire, you know, going out from under while she's getting on her bike and stuff. Maybe maybe not, but uh, this is really serious. This is a very very serious thing. Um, damaging another person's equipment, you know, in a race. And there's something here. The very first sentence in here says, I was under so much pressure to perform. Okay, so what's going on here? What that's doing, that's that's putting the pressure, somebody else is pressuring her to perform, right? So that's again, I that's if I'm if I'm her, that's saying I'm the I'm a victim. The world is making me do this. Somebody else is making me do this. I was under so much pressure to perform. And when somebody, and then further down, she says, um, uh, despite being an accomplished athlete, right? She's still defending herself as if she's above, she's better than, and than uh, other people or most, most other people. Um, so this, twice it's mentioned in here, you know, it's not really entirely all my fault. And also, I'm still kind of above, I'm above the law. <laughs> I'm an accomplished athlete, you know, still feeling the need to show others that she's great. And now let's let's move away from her case. We're just talking about playing psychology here. When anybody apologizing for anything, uh, even though a lot of this 
you know, I'm a terrible person. I've done this and I've done that and I need help is awesome. That's, that's, uh, over the top, just incredible, like good that she wrote that. But the, the, um, uh, the, the blaming the circumstances on other things, um, besides herself, no one's making you go do these races. These are, this is, if you can't admit that this is a self-created situation, you know, that this, I put myself under so much pressure to perform is how somebody, um, that's truly recognized that they are guilty for doing this and they need to fix themselves would word that. And they would not squeeze in there that they are an accomplished athlete. It's not, if you're truly sorry, you just wouldn't even mention that. It would never come up. You don't need to, right? You would just say, I messed up. I, I feel terrible about it. I, I hope I, I, uh, I will try to never, ever do anything like this ever again. I'm so sorry. And um, I understand if other people are, uh, are really upset at me. And I hope that, um, that I can get some help. Right, that's all you need, and you you don't need to say the, the these other things. Anyway, uh, all that aside, so when somebody apologizes for you to you for something, or you see apologies on the uh, public apologies, look look for stuff like that. You know who's really to blame? Is there like half half uh, languages in there? And then you know whether the person's really uh, quite there yet and going to get help. So this um. This is a big deal. Some people just couldn't believe that this this uh, would happen. I'm always shocked when um, it's women that do this, but it seems to happen a lot. I think my belief, a lot of people's belief that women are uh, nicer and and would never do something terrible is is made up. I don't know where uh, we think this because a lot of these cases, uh, women are super competitive, and uh, they do they do do some stuff like this um it seems to me as much as guys or maybe even more sometimes which always just blows my mind and yeah um there's a little story when i was um one of my earlier triathlons i've been doing it a few years but uh, a woman started trying to move my bike out of the and put her bike in my, in, uh, in the spot that my bike was in while I was, I was outside of the transition area, but I was standing there watching. I had my bike all set up and then I got out of the transition area to kind of get, uh, finish getting ready. But I, I got outside of the transition area and then went and stood, uh, on the other side of the fence, but you know, uh, 20, 30 feet from my bike. So she just thought I was part of the crowd, but I was actually watching my bike because the transition area racks were kind of crowded and she tried to start moving my bike, and I yelled at her. I go, quit touching that bike. That's my bike. And she was like, uh, uh, well, this is, um, uh, it's in the wrong spot. And I go, no, it is in the right spot. Your number is this, and you you go over there. And she tried to get, like, really um, falsely um, pretend, like, aggravated with me, like she was righteous and stuff. And I'm like, lady... You keep touching that bike, and we're gonna have a problem. <laughs> uh, we're gonna have to um, get a, a race official over here, and she knew that that would get her in trouble, and then she left it alone. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, 
because I'd come from mountain biking background uh, first, you know, with racing. And uh, I was like, who, who takes this? I mean, dude, we're age groupers at some local sprint triathlon or maybe an Olympic. Like, who cares, man? Why are you doing this? And what, what are you going to get out of this? I mean, we're not even the same gender. Like, uh, quit moving bikes around. Anyway, um, so those are our stories on that. Lots of drama in the LBC. Okay, let's um, read this email from... All right, this email is from Dana Foreman, F-O-R-M-O-N. And she's at Sam Houston, which is Huntsville, which is my favorite uh, place to do ultra trail runs. And she is with... She's a doctoral candidate, uh, clinical psychology, and um, Sam Houston State in Huntsville. And she wrote, man, I need to reply back to her. It's been a few days. Hi, Brett, exclamation point. Pseudo longtime listener here, meaning I found your podcast in March through Triathlon Terrence's video blog, but I've been binge listening to everything you've released for the last two years or so. Oh, so you found out about me recently, but went back and listened to a whole bunch of old stuff. Cool. Uh, smiley face with a wink. I wish... I first wanted to just thank you for a super relatable podcast. As someone who is newer to triathlon, I thought your podcast would be hard to follow since I'm not super serious into the sport yet, but I've actually found it so helpful in just learning about basic triathlon knowledge, and then the material is not at all overwhelming. So yeah, thanks, exclamation point. By the way, and Rita bars are delicious, two exclamation points. Second... And, uh, and then in parentheses, and to be honest, this is the real reason I'm emailing. I was wondering if you could help point me in the direction of some triathlon training groups in the area that you might know of. I'm currently a PhD student at Sam Houston State who also does work at TAMU. Go Aggies! Exclamation point. Studying clinical psychology. I'm looking for insane people, and you and your friends came on my list. No, I'm just saying she didn't write it. Uh, the lab that I'm researching in is working with endurance athletes, half and full Ironman triathletes, marathon and ultra runners, long-distance cyclists, marathon swimmers, etc., etc., and the stress that training puts on their psychological well-being and recovery. We're recruiting athletes, but other than, say, Volte... Volt, I don't know, V-O-L-T-E, Volt Endurance and Finish Strong Coaching and the local running club, we're not really sure where else to look or who to reach out to. Might you have any advice here? As I've discovered, there's basically no research on the psychology of endurance athletes, especially triathletes, and my lab is looking to change that. Um, Happy face. Thanks so much, both for reading this email and for having an awesome podcast. Exclamation point, Dana. All right, so Dana's email is, where'd it go? I know I can find it here by going to the top of the email. Oh, wow, it's a complicated email. Ready, everybody? Uh, DLF, probably Dana and then the middle, like Laura or something like that. F, um... I believe it's 013, DLF 013, at SHSU, that's Sam Houston State University, .edu. So again, it's DLF 013 at SHSU.edu. And 
if you want to get involved in being researched upon, being a lab rat, then uh, give her a shout out. Or if you know of people in the area, I can think of someone. I'm going to reply back to her and tell her quite a few people that I know that are nuts. Okay. Um, on that note, what I've noticed, um, becoming an endurance athlete was two things. So uh, the first thing I ever had to do in my life that was endurancey was probably long swim team practices, right? Uh, very brutal, no hope of ever escaping, and you have to keep going and going and going, kind of like that. And then um, the worst ones were like uh, the, the inauguration of those. It was my freshman year in high school. And then two years of just existing, uh, breathing oxygen mostly, at military school was extremely, extremely difficult. That's an endurance um uh, even got a little bit of PTSD from going there. I had nightmares for years. Uh, so very, very stressful. Um, always having to be on, always having to watch your guard, always uh, being um, worried. Someone's going to jump you or, you know, you have to be tough and, and physical. Oh, my gosh, it's never ending. Plus being on swim team at the same time. Okay, so then when I, years and years, years later, when I got into doing um, endurance stuff, uh, it was during my first ever Ironman where I realized that this was as hard as going to military, as like surviving at military school. And uh, that military school, for I've probably talked about it a lot of other podcasts, um, it was Marine Corps. And Marines are notoriously insane, insane, hard mindset. And um, it's kind of like similar to Navy SEALs, except there's um, way more of them. And you don't get to pick your weapons. You just have to be insane. <laughs> anyway, the um, the interesting thing was is about halfway through the run on that thing, I realized I was feeling the endurance, the mental endurance of survival of that half of that half about halfway through a full Ironman run. But towards the end of the day, as the sun started going down, was reminiscent of. Um, hard things I'd done earlier in life. And I liked it. I liked it that I was on the edge and I was pushing myself forward. But at the same time, it was a controlled environment. I could quit at any time. Now, when I was uh, feeling like I was dying during swim team practice or I felt like I was dying in military school, I couldn't quit. There's other people screaming at me that I got to keep going. And so... Um, I'm getting the same feeling of exhaustion and uh, pushing myself to, to new places and new limits and reminding myself of what I can do. Um, but in a safe environment that's actually controlled. And that's why I keep trying to tell people, if you really want to find yourself, sign up for an ultra marathon or an Ironman, and then about halfway through, around nightfall... <laughs> Late afternoon, you're really going to find what you're made out of, but it's kind of a safe environment, right? You could quit if you want. So now it's like how, how really, how much do you want to push yourself? What are you willing to do? Are you, how much pain are you willing to endure? And through the training for these kinds of things, you really, your pain threshold 
starts increasing. And what I mean by that is that um, every time you do something that feels like you're going to die and then you don't die, that gives you reference for the next time that you do something that's pretty painful. And then you, but you're always got something to compare it to. You go, well, I experienced um, more pain than this one time and I didn't die. So I know I can keep going, right? Because everything's relative in your mind. And so you're always comparing and you're like, well, that's a Zen thing. And so it's like, uh, I can keep going. It's all right. Um, when I'm at work and it sucks because somebody's in trouble and, um, we got to type up reports and blah, 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 like that. I'm like, yeah, this kind of sucks, but we're in an office that's air conditioned and I've had to work a job where, um, I was cleaning trash out of a dirt parking lot where it was 100 degrees, and I actually did get heat exhaustion, almost had a heat stroke, had a spontaneous nosebleed in dirt, wearing a hard hat, and the only place I could find a place to sit down and and uh, to regain myself is inside of a porta can, a porta potty in a dirt parking lot in uh, in Illinois in the middle of the summer. And, uh, so it just smelled of feces and it was cooking alive in the, in the bright sun and just the heat and the dirt and everything. And I'm like, so I'm sitting here at my desk in the air conditioning and uh, having to push a pencil across a piece of paper, you know, and type a few things on a keyboard. Yeah, that sucks, but it doesn't suck like that other job. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's not that bagging ice, man, until your hands go numb. I had to do that. I was a night shift. Uh, uh, I was a night clerk. Uh, night, what do you call it? Night shift at a at a um, corner store for a summer, with crazy people coming in, stealing things. Cops uh, had to chase people. Uh, you know, I was a bouncer for a freaking year, having to get into fights and uh, break up fights and throw people out, take drinks away from people and kick them out. And, and check IDs and the stress, worried about getting stabbed in the back, going out to your car in the parking lot at 3 a.m. because you threw somebody out and now they're angry and they've come back uh, with a gun. And uh, it started giving me an ulcer. And I'm like, so I can compare my uh, desk job with that. It's like, well, it's not that bad. <laughs> so anyway, the um, there's a problem I've, I've heard uh, reading through some articles and whatever, the, the pain threshold of endurance athletes, long-distance endurance athletes, physical and mental is much higher than, um, than uh, let's just say, your average person. Because they've experienced pain uh, so much and, and it didn't kill them, their idea of what's actually painful um, mentally and physically uh, doesn't register and, and it's actually, while that's both a positive, it's also kind it works out to be a negative a lot of times because um, you think something hurt, doesn't really hurt, but it's a, your body's giving you signals you need to stop because you're getting injured. Um, but you don't stop because you're like, well, it doesn't hurt that bad. You know, and, but the thing is, is your perspective of what's that bad is all messed up because you've been doing endurance sports for so long. Um, you're almost numb to pain. And yeah, it sounds badass, but it's your, your perspective is out of whack. So two examples I can think of, Lance Armstrong, when he had testicular cancer that was ravaging his body. He was at like stage four or something crazy like that, and cancer all through his body. Um, he was like, well, I hurt all the time because 
we do these long bike rides and uh, they hurt. <laughs> you know, they were like, why haven't you come in sooner? Doesn't it hurt? And he's like, well, yeah, it hurts. I hurt all the time. And then um, when I was doing the Rocky Raccoon uh, 100, the second time I did the 100, I finally dropped out at mile 60 after throwing up for 30 miles. Um, and I was two days, three days later in the emergency room that my rhabdomyolysis, uh, rhabdomyolysis, myalgia, whatever, a score was so high still days later that they were like, how did you not come in? Doesn't this hurt? And I go, of course it hurts. I ran 60 miles. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> They're just like, um, yeah, you're nuts. And I go, no, I'm just, this is, they didn't believe that I was dehydrated. Because I was just stand, I was just sitting there um, uh, with a smile on my face and cracking jokes. But Emily had dragged me in because she didn't think something was right, and they're like, "No, he's fine." And then they tested my blood and they came back sheepishly without a word and hooked, gave me three IV bags of fluid. That's how dehydrated I was, and they, but they didn't think I was when I first came in. They laughed me off at first, and Emily pressed them to uh, test me for dehydration. Um, because of my, my attitude is, was like, I was, I was fine. You know, everything's cool. Um, so that's my, uh, that's my, that's my personal experience with, um, uh, with pain threshold. And if I was in one of these studies, I'm, I'm very serious. I think you could stick a needle to me and anybody else that's done a bunch of Ironmans and ultra runs, like, you know, press into our skin like a, like a nail and go, well, how, how bad does this hurt on a scale of one to 10? And we would say, oh, like a three. And somebody else might go nine, 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 freaking stop it <laughs> like that. And then if, um, they put us in a, um, oh yeah. Somebody told me one time, they were like, how can you run for like six hours? And I go, well, actually it was like 13, hours for this and 26 hours for that or I swam across Lake Tahoe you know and it was 13 and a half hours they go how can you do that I'd go insane and I go actually I liked it it was um it was relaxing to get away from everybody I actually enjoyed it and and they just can't believe it they're like I would go insane with that that um isolation and I'm like man I like it but I've learned to like it you know and a lot of us have so uh, that's where we are with that. Okay, before we get to the training log, well, again, contact uh, Dana. I won't abuse you with the email address again. Uh, well, I will. DLF013 at shsu.edu. It's a good school. Hit her up. And let's, um, before we get into the training log, where I take you with me on my escapades, got some keto stuff in there, some swimming pool stuff. Trying to think what else. Let's read off some donations. Let's see. Uh, Tyler Moyer. Oh, by the way, you can donate to the show on the left-hand side of zintrathlon.com. And on the right-hand side, you can get Hornet Juice, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, Tyler Moyer. Spiros Fetsis. Stephen Hammond. Joseph Deber or Diver. And Dwayne Morin. Joseph Rogalski. What is up, dude? Houston Marsh. What is double up, dude? Uh, Michael Radagna. Brett, I've got the coolest name in endurance sports. Hoyer, uh, Justice Phillips. Oh, I do. I got to do a um, 
a little diversion here, a little squirrel moment. I was listening to Mixed Mental Arts podcast, and the guest is a guy named Brett something or another. And then every time Hunter, who's the host, says Brett, and whatever, I always look up and around. I go, what? Because <laughs> my name's not so common that I'm used to hearing it all the time. Whenever I hear it, I look up and around. And I'm like, what? Um, Justice Phillips, what is going on, dude? Jonathan Woodman, Hun Chu, Tanya Roy, and John Mulan. All donated to the show. You can donate to the show on the left-hand side of zentrathlon.com. On the right-hand side, there is Hornet Juice. Hornet Juice is an amino acid. What it does is it turns on your fat burning. It is based on the saliva of Japanese killer hornets. No kidding. You talk about ketosis. This stuff is awesome. It activates your fat burning. And the more I learned about ketosis, the more I'm like, oh, that's how Hornet Juice works. It's really, really cool. So it turns on your fat metabolism because it's a specific blend of amino acids that when your body sees it, it goes, oh, it's time to turn on the fat burning. And that's what helps the Japanese killer hornet, which is the heaviest bodied insect that flies the longest distance on nothing, no carbs, but just on body fat that it's got. It's, it's stored fat. And... Uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So scientists said, hey, we gotta we gotta figure out what amino acids it's doing to do this using the turn on body fat burning. And it does. And the stuff really, really works. It's really crazy. And you can get it on the right hand side. And every purchase you make of Hornet Juice, Hornet Juice gives back to Zentri just a tiny little bit and it helps keeps the show on the air. I get um a several purchases a day and they um they kind of they start adding up man it's really cool and it goes into kai's college fund <laughs> which is really really neat all right oh and it's a way for you to get something that's really cool for yourself too and it comes from new zealand when you order it i tell hornet juice hornet juice sends it from new zealand and yeah it's pretty cool all right Let's go ahead and get started with the training log. I take you with me on my workouts and uh, dish on how they're going and things I learned along the way so you can become an ultra distance athlete yourself. Little tips here and there. And here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Kuneli. <laughs> Hi everybody, my name is Brett, I'm a trap. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on dudes, let's go exercise! Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself! It looks like it's June something, 4th, 5th. <laughs> oh man, leaving the pool. Lots of good stuff going on. I guess we should start off with a little bit of triathlon news. Looks like the Ironman brand, WTC, the parent company, bought competitor group. Ah, oh, man. Dan from Slow Twitch said that uh, a while back he wrote an article saying he didn't understand why Ironman didn't own 5Ks because then you own the whole spectrum, the whole... I guess the business talk is the uh, vertical market is what it is. And yeah, that's interesting. Um, Competitor makes a magazine that I actually found really nice. Coming into San Diego once every year or so, 
for work, I would find a copy of Competitor magazine um, laying around, like a newsletter kind of thing. It was really good, really well written. Um, Competitor owns the Rock and Roll 5K series, and apparently that's a big thing. And I guess you can say, uh, hey, rock and roll runners, have you ever thought of going big time? You got a lot of time to kill? <laughs> Want to be really selfish with your time and ignore your family for hours and hours on end and consider it self-improvement? Then have you tried, have you thought about doing an Ironman? Woo! So on that note, the way to do an Ironman, for real, if you want to keep your family intact and make it actually improve your life instead of tearing it apart, is to incorporate your family and friends to help you out uh, as, uh, as their abilities can, uh, can apply, you know? Uh, when, I was, when I've been doing stuff, Kai likes to come out, and, and uh, my son, and help give me water and do some of it himself and Emily likes to tell everybody that she meets <laughs> within two minutes about her husband is, is a triathlete and does all this stuff and uh, then Emily does some of it too <sighs> man alright so I uh, am li- listening to an audiobook no more Mr. Nice Guy I think is what it's called it's really good there's a lot of us that were uh, raised in uh, family situations where moms were were the uh, most powerful person in the world to us and <clears throat> we're raised to please women and we don't feel uh, valid or complete or whole unless we're pleasing the women around us and uh, while a lot of that's nice it's really nice uh, because uh, women really tend, most women it seems to me, tend to have their shit together and tend to build up instead of tear down. You still uh, want, as a guy, and I guess this could apply to women too, the book's really wit- written written, written towards um, uh, guys that are struggling uh, maybe a little bit to um, to uh, quit uh, being run over by by women, but also it's every once in a while they mention uh, women and they mention guys in um, uh, gay relationships, and I think yeah, it could probably apply to women too. Anyway, so it's, it's kind of an interesting book. Because not everybody's 100% anything, but you can find yourself sort of on the spectrum and, and uh, find um, yourself being described uh, here and there. And in my situation, uh, for a long time my dad was at home, but then when I got to be a teenager, he had to uh, work away from home. And, so, and my mom is a very strong, powerful mom. And she uh, wore the pants when my dad wasn't around. And turned out because of work my dad had to not be around uh, for a while and I would still see him but like once a month and he's definitely an alpha male <laughs> so when he showed up it was like oh shit <laughs> but 
otherwise uh, got a lot of got a lot of the the lecturing that 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 uh, men need to you know figure themselves out and stuff like that which subconsciously leads to a lot of uh, you know you want to please you want to please women because you needed to please your mom nine times out of out of ten and your mom had high standards so you just find yourself doing that I found myself doing that you know growing up and there's some really cool stuff in the book I would say maybe in my 20s you know it's kind of a teenager and in my 20s I found myself trying to please overly you know, or not trying to please women, but I just found myself going, why, why don't girls like me more? Because I'm really nice. And girls don't really, I, I'm, I'm speaking out of, out of turn here because I'm not a girl, but women want guys to be themselves. And when a guy is a guy, then the guy can be there for the girl when she needs him. And I guess that's the end of what I know about women. But because I definitely, I know it's a million layers deeper than that. And everybody's different. But one of the really cool things in the book is what, if you're not authentic, if, if you're trying to please other people, then, and this is the bigger picture. This has less to do with men and women and, and, and more to do with just being, being happy. If you're trying to please other people, whether it be men or women, then you are not being yourself. And then there's a, a tragic crack in reality for you and you never feel happy because you're never really being true to yourself you're you're trying to be somebody that you're not because you're always trying to please somebody else or a group of people or something like that and as I got older you know my I think it was mid 30s and 40s I got to the point where I was like wait what am I doing why do I care so much about what other people think and it was triathlon that actually got me there and I also listened to the Keith and the Girl podcast where Keith um, would go on rants about how um, guys need to quit um, feeling devastated if a girl doesn't like them and to revolve their world around um, whether they got approval from women or not. And just be yourself and then uh, you'll be happier. It was pretty interesting. And uh, <laughs> Keith has got plenty of problems himself. But one of the interesting things, back to triathlon, oh my God. One of the interesting things is, and I'm only like a couple of chapters into the book, but right off the bat, they mention spend time by yourself, men or women. Spend time by yourself because if you're by yourself, then there's nobody else around for you to try to please. And then you realize what makes you happy and what um, makes you feel whole and, and uh, like you're, you're um, getting stuff done and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, boy, if that isn't the truth with training for triathlon. So if you're doing a single sport, a lot of times it's very effective to train with groups, right? Everybody's doing the same workout. And that works out really well, meeting up at the same time. But once you start getting into triathlon, there is so many different sports, so many different uh, things to be training for. You can't get it done and work out in groups because the whole arranging time to meet up with everybody just doesn't work out 
So you have to learn how to train by yourself. You have to learn to be self, self-sufficient in your own training. That's why when I coach, uh, I get so many clients that are, and I only coach people that are over the internet, that are adults that are uh, doing their own thing on their own schedule. Because I can say, go for a run, do this, do that, and they can find the time to do it. They don't have to wait on somebody else uh, to show up. And there's a, there's a breaking point where you come to terms with this, where you realize that biking with the group or running with the group all the time actually holds you back. Emily went on a, uh, on a run with some friends, and she said that it was frustrating because they're so much slower and she needed to run uh, this amount of time but you know she sacrificed to run and to run with them because that's important and there's women building community again and that's great (sighs) but um, you'll realize you know when you keep coming in back of the pack to maybe middle of the pack, but probably back of the pack. But you know you got so much more potential that the uh, oh somebody just ran a red light. The trick is you got to exercise per what your body needs, and working out with the group isn't isn't working out. It's it's uh, Saturday morning, and you need to get in a bike ride, and the bike ride group is like, well, we're not going to bike ride because we're going to uh, it's raining or something like that. Well, I'm going to bike on the trainer without them or the big one is going for a bike ride this is the big one going for a bike ride on your own with no friends because you need to get in a two-hour bike ride three-hour bike ride and no one else will do it everybody drops out they're like well you know i gotta go home and i can't do this and i can't do that which is fine but this is the day that works for you this day this morning and you can't do it later because it's going to be too hot and you know that or what, are, what a million reasons why you can't do it later. So you got to do it on your own. So you're out there finally by yourself and you're able to train yourself. And then those are the moments where you become uh, not trying to please other people not worried about appearances, what your bike looks like, right? Because there's no one around to judge whether you're bike is cool because it's got arrow wheels or all this crap or if your seat's too high or if uh, your cycling shoes are the coolest shoes you know all all this stuff that we get worried about what other people think you're out there and then the only thing left is you and whether or not the workout is good and then you start to realize that that's the important stuff and then when somebody later says, oh, you know, you're riding with flat pedals. (laughs) What is that? You can say back, hey, man, at the last race, I was on the podium with my flat pedals. And you're self-confident. You don't need to please them anymore because you got the proof that what you're doing works for you. Anyway, I got to go into W to the ERK. Hopefully, when when we come back, we'll talk about the ultimate run course. By the way, that was that was a No More Mr. Nice Guy audiobook on audible.com. That's where I got that. All right. I need to eat. Let's get on it. All right, we are back. Gosh, I love this continued recording option on 
on the Black Mamba. And let's see, I am headed back to work after years of lifestyle design, lifestyle engineering. I can swing home for lunch, which is really nice. Learning the uh, upsides and downsides of having your own backyard pool, which is uh, both awesome <laughs> and, uh, boy, never, never going to take it for granted. Uh, there's so much in life that I've worked my uh, way up to, 43, almost 44, I think. And having to work for stuff makes you never, ever, ever, ever take it for granted. Especially if you did have some stuff that was pretty nice, having it taken away and then having to earn it back really drives home what's, what stuff is, is really worth. It's the best. When I was in college, I was having to pay. I went to a state school. I had to pay uh, for half of school myself, working part-time jobs. And also slept on a door. That was my uh, bed frame. It was a an old door, single wide, you know, regular door, on top of milk crates to get it up off the ground. And I considered that cool and nice. And I was uh, buying tortillas at the grocery store and cans of Wolf Brand chili and putting the uh, chili on the tortilla and sprinkling some cheese and uh, putting that in the microwave and making a chilito, that's what they call it. Got the idea from having one one time at Taco Bell. <laughs> I'm like, put beans in it, chili with beans. I'm like, is this, is this almost real food? I'm not exactly sure. I guess I'll go. And anyway, boy. Man, so I'm, I'm at home at lunch, and I am, uh, oh my gosh, dude, my first job was the lowest paying job I've ever seen in my entire life, but I stayed there for a while and did a really good job and eventually got raises, and then went to grad school while working full time, and with a grad school degree, ended up getting a job that actually paid decently for my industry, and then... Over that period of time, started working towards um, constantly trying to upgrade the living situation to more and more um, being able to bike to work or live places where you can actually exercise and do stuff to make uh, life more fun. Definitely not into sitting around watching TV. You're on the wrong side of the screen if you're uh, watching other people be awesome. This thing where you've got people watching other people play video games on YouTube, I, it makes my brain explode. You're on the wrong side of the screen. You want other people watching you do something awesome, not you watching other people be awesome as a general habit. Okay, let's see. Our awesome thing is the run loop. Let's talk about that. Oh, wait, let me... Um, no, we're going to do that first, and then we'll talk about salt stick. How about that? I'm not going to punish you with an ad, <laughs> make you wait any longer. All right. I promised last episode I'd talk about what makes for a really good running loop, because I've come across something. One thing, if it's hot where you live, especially in the summer, you have a problem running in a long with a long distance in a long distance with a tailwind is going to cook you and make you absolutely miserable. 
So you want frequent turns. I can tell you one thing that makes for a lot of turns is a loop. You're never hot for very long if the loop is small enough, right? Uh, and it's because uh, if you got a tailwind five, six, seven miles per hour, well, you're running five, six, seven miles per hour. So it's like you're just standing in your own ball of heat. It sucks. There's no breeze. And where I come from, where I'm at, it's very noticeable and will cook you and make you overheat very quickly. And on top of that, repeatable. So I found this loop that is two miles. That means you're never doing more than about a third, uh, I'll say half a mile in any one direction before you kind of start to turn gently. That is great. Now, gentle hills in this uh, run loop. I already said repeatable. We'll do both. And with gentle hills, um, that's the sweet spot. Because if you want, let's say you're kind of tired, then you can uh, go up the hill softly. You have a choice, you know. Um, If the hill was really steep, then... You have no choice but to go hard. And let's say you've got an injury or plantar fasciitis and you uh, you want to go up this hill, well, it's going to really break you up. Or you go downhill and it's slamming into you. So you can go softly and it doesn't matter that much. But let's say you want some hill work. Well, you just run up this hill harder, faster. You know, you can push the interval. And so what I found is this really sweet spot is gentle hills. is really, really nice because you can choose how hard to go up them and flat ground and eh, you're not getting that resistance training that really makes a big difference all right uh, street lights it's nice because you can um, you can uh, be safe if you're worried about that kind of thing if you need that kind of thing and also oh repeatability so this is what I figured out is so cool is three loops of about two miles the first loop, your first mile, two miles, you should have no goal. That should be your warm up, especially with running. With cycling, it doesn't seem to matter that much. And with swimming, it really doesn't matter that much. But with running, uh, you want to get your form together before you start going hard, or else you're going to injure yourself. And so, two mile loop seems to be a really, oh, a really nice. Um, distance to go where you don't um, no goals right and that is really important you got to go two miles no goals just be like whatever happens happens and that's okay because you got another loop to go or another two loops to go another three loops to go so you, the, th- the first loop is a throwaway loop your first two miles that's all right. Then what happens is your you time you, you can time yourself, and I made that first loop a Strava segment. That whole entire loop is a Strava segment. You can time yourself, and for me, you know, right now it's like uh, twenty three minutes, twenty four minutes. And actually, you got to ask yourself, how slow can I run this loop? It's I want to be slower than a certain amount of time on the first loop. Now your second loop, you say. Okay, 
I want to go just a little bit faster than my second loop. And you're not even really trying. You're just kind of like, you should go. And if you don't, then there's probably something up, right? It's still not really a goal. You should naturally, without trying, go faster on your second loop than your first loop. And then your third loop, and I'm hitting the lap button every time I do one of these loops. My, uh, so like my second loop, let's say that if I did the first one in 23 minutes, my second loop, I'll do around 22 minutes. And I'm like, all right, cool. I am uh, speeding up, settling in. Okay, and then on my third loop, I'm like, all right, let's try to beat the second loop time, right? Now see how everything's relative versus what you did just a minute before, you know, or a loop before or whatever. It's not really relative to what your all-time best or anything like that because you don't really know how you feel. And your first loop is sacrificial to kind of get an idea of how you feel. It's kind of like you're, it's kind of like calibrating you. You go, okay, how am I feeling today, right? No judgment, just observation. So you know what to do for your second loop or your third loop or if you're going to do four or five, whatever. Oh, a water stop along that route would be uh, amazing. It turns out on this loop there's a water fountain, but it's kind of it's kind of off the loop just a tiny bit. And it's not all that great, so I'm not you know championing my my loop as being um, incredible in that manner. Okay, then the other greatest thing about this uh, this loop that I've that I've made and that I've figured out is the last part of the loop, the last uh, half mile, three quarters of a mile of this loop is uphill. And that way I'm finishing trying to go faster and uh, improve on my time to the previous loop uphill, right? Now the other loops had the uphill in it as well, but that's really, really cool for it to um, to uh, finish uphill. So. I am, uh, you, you can, by some miracle, you find everything that's all, all of this in one loop. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> I happened to cross it by accident. So I'm not saying that it, and this is after, uh, 20 years of running, I found a loop that I actually finally like, but you know, like I said, uh, working my way in that direction, lifestyle design, making choices, making better choices, improving, <coughs> improving, upon the choices of the choices made before, you know, constantly learning, picking yourself up, improving just a little bit here and there. But all that being said, um, that loop isn't the, uh, it's, it's not, I'm not going to call it the Jesus loop, the loop to solve all my problems. It is, uh, not so because I can tell you after running it four or five times, I got bored and I went and ran an out and back loop or out and back, not a loop at all, um, because I wanted to do something different. So it just goes to show that humans are weird. We, um, uh, we want, um, to find perfection. And then the minute that we find it, we go, ah, that sucks. (laughs) So really what we want is good choices and variation. And that out, that out and back that I that I figured out 
I love it, man. Oh, it's awesome. And so now I have a choice. I can do this looping thing or I can do uh, this out and back based on um, how I feel. Oh, man. It's really, 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 really cool. Oh, and again, the um, I probably mentioned it on the last episode. The creating a Strava segment on your regular running course, towards the end of your running course. Um say like on the last mile of your your normal running um tells you a lot and it might you don't want to you don't want your whole run to be a Strava segment because then you'll push too hard and you'll go too hard when you still need to be warming up but the last few miles mile uh yeah half mile mile uh two miles maybe um what I figured out is it's really interesting to make that a Strava segment because um, it allows you to go easy at the beginning because you're warming up for the good part and you're saving yourself for the, the part where you're going to go harder at the end. And that's smart. By accident, you're kind of making it yeah, so that, that you're warming up better. You're going to take your time on the first uh, few miles because you're saving yourself instinctually but by accident subconsciously for the last part you're saving up your energy and that's really smart that's going to lead to injury prevention and then going harder towards the end is uh is something that's going to improve you right your systems are all warmed up you're all great um you've really reduced the risk of injury because everything is moving well and then now's the time to do a little bit of speed work and you make it kind of short you know uh, five, 10 minutes for running is nice. A little bit of speed work at the end of your, of your run. And that'll actually improve you without overdoing it. And you'll, you'll find that you'll try to do that Strava segment and improve on it just by habit because you, because you know it exists and you'll be like, man, I want to move up from seventh place to sixth place. Or I want to improve on my last time. And Strava will automatically show you your time and that you're um, improving on that that time overall. Isn't that cool? Cool, man. So those are my tips on how to make the best ever, (laughs) but probably probably not, but the best ever uh, run course. All those things put together. And then again, like I said, you alternate it on occasion with I like to do an out and back uh, run or something. You know, you can do whatever you want. And let's say I'm going to run for an hour. I run out uh, 31 minutes. And then my run back, I'm going to speed up because that run out included some slow running at the beginning, just naturally. And then on my run back, um, I'll run a little bit faster. So it'll take me 29 minutes probably to cover the 31 minutes I went out. It'll take me 20, 29 minutes on the way back. And that's how we roll. All right, everybody, stay tuned for the next segment. I got to go and uh, crunch some numbers. Out, Bing. All right, I'm out in the uh, backyard, relaxing, listening to the uh, Texas wildlife here, suburban wildlife. There's a freeway somewhere in the distance. And uh, tree frogs, crickets. Whoa, what is that in the water?
and I'm actually sitting uh, chest deep in the uh, backyard pool. And Zoe, my dog, is out here with me. She's curious. She's very curious. And you can hear the water. So, when I used to, uh, and Emily too, used to live in apartment complexes, uh, we would go for a run and just die in the heat and then jump in the um, apartment complex pool. It was so awesome. And uh, I just absolutely love, this morning I went for a run and then hopped in the pool. And then this uh, hour, hour run, uh, 6.2 miles, something like that. And then um, uh, just wrote on Zwift, which is the video game. And I can do the pretzel route in an hour, almost an hour. I'm about a minute short of the finish line in an hour. And so that's my challenge is uh, that's if, if it's my first lap. After I've done one hour, because I've done two laps of that thing. And on the second lap, I can do it. Uh, I can I can beat it, but the first lap, because I'm not really warmed up yet, I'm not putting down the watts. All the watts. What is that floating in the pool next to me? It's nighttime, by the way. And uh, I can't, but it's a good goal, and that keeps me uh, trying kind of towards the end, putting down the power. And what I've noticed that's interesting is um, Zwift, because I got a, a route that's now long enough it's got a lot of variation to it. The pretzel, or the figure eight, I think is what I think it's called. The figure eight. Yeah, the pretzel I think includes the <laughs> the five thousand foot mountain climb. I think that's not it. That's not the same one. So uh, the figure eight. Um, I've noticed a switch in my mind from. Uh, it's a workout where I'm riding, following numbers on the screen. To actually, it's become real enough, even though it's fake, that um, I'm feeling the course. And now I'm trying to actually ride the course in a certain amount of time. And that's way different because um, that's way more real. So give the, uh, give the, uh, the figure eight a try on Zwift and um, for your for your one hour workout like your morning or evening workout and uh, try to beat it and uh, <laughs> let me know if you do <laughs> you'd, be, <laughs> you'd be amazingly badass because uh, I'm on a on that thing I'm on a tri bike and I'm putting down some watts at times climbing and stuff I'm not going all out but I'm giving an honest effort after kind of an easy warm-up, that, uh, man, you beat that thing, let me know. And I'm also having uh, fun on Reddit. There's a sub-forum called Triathlon. Hey, no. Don't scratch the screen. Oh, pro tip. I got two pro tips. Well, let me do the uh, Reddit thing. Um, I decided to start answering questions on uh, Reddit, the sub-forum Triathlon. And um, I think somebody made a sub Forum for Zentri? Didn't they? Anyway, um, 
And I answered a question in there about how to get better at heart rate zones or get more aerobic and also how to race 70.3 heart rate zones, I think, is what I answered. <sighs> so I got two totally random uh, life pro tips. One is outdoor lighting. Um, it seems to me that you can use LED lighting outdoors and it doesn't attract bugs. So on your back porch, front porch, if you don't want to attract bugs, if you want to have light, uh, use LED. I think the wavelength doesn't attract them. They don't see it. They don't think it's the moon. If, uh, if you were unaware of this, this is pretty cool. The reason, Zoe, no. The reason night lights attract bugs, like your patio light or whatever, is they think it's the moon or the sun maybe. Doesn't matter, they think it's one of the two and they use it for navigation in the real world. They use the sun or the moon. And just like you would if you were pretty primitive. And they fly kind of at it and then suddenly they fly past it and they go, wait, I'm still supposed to be flying at it. So they turn around and fly at it and end up doing circles and circles and circles around your, um, around your light. So you're messing with their navigation. So anyway, if you don't want bugs on your patio, or wherever, your nightlight uh, outside, use LED. Apparently it doesn't attract them because it's a whack job free, uh, wavelength instead of a natural one. It's a chemical light. And then um, another one is if you're traveling and you're in a hotel and or at a friend's house, and you want a stand-up desk, listen to that interview with Dean Karnazes on um, uh, the Art of Charm podcast. And I got to say, that guy, I don't know where he got his questions from, but he, ans he asked all the right questions to Dean Karnazes, the real questions that need real answers, that I don't like his interview style, <laughs> but God Damn, those were some good freaking questions. So way to go, dude. Um, all the right questions. It's crazy. This is the most useful interview with one of the best runners in the world that I've ever heard. Stuff that you can kind of learn from him and then take home if, if you can't apply it. And uh, what actually works. And then, uh, but anyway, Dean Carnazza says that he can't sit still. Hey! No. Dog scratching at the screen. No, Zoe. And, uh, sorry about that. And when he's traveling, he can't sit still. And he doesn't like to sit and work at a computer. He likes to stand. And, uh, well, what about in a hotel? What do you do? For a standing desk. And he goes, oh, I just open up a, a um, the ironing board makes a great standing desk. And I was like, oh man, that is cool, dude. Because I'm going to be in San Diego at some point in the summer probably for almost a week. And I was like, yeah, dude, I go up the ironing board and use it as a standing desk. I like it a lot. And if you're visiting a friend too, you know, you're doing a, um, what is that, Airbnb crap? And, uh, or you're just at a buddy's house. All right. Finished my, um, 
finished my bike and uh, poured myself a glass of uh, wine and water over ice in one of these uh, vacuum sealed cups that everybody's got right now. That's the new trend. All right, that's it, everybody. Gonna go to bed. Out, bang. Alright, I'm in the uh, Zentri Mobile Studios, all, aka, that's what also known as, it took me years to figure it out, uh, means is uh, my wife's car with her pink uh, marathon and, and uh, half Iron Man stickers on the back. I'm the biggest, ugliest uh, chick driving around in a little white Honda Civic that you've ever seen. Anyway, uh, getting ready to go in for my swim, I thought I'd detail a little bit about what encompasses that. Uh, sometimes if I get to the pool early, and I like this, I was talking with a coworker that said she likes to do this. She gets someplace early and then sits there and thinks. And um, debating about whether to do intervals or just swim constant, and uh it's nice to go back and forth to intervals one workout and then constant speed the next workout, kind of like a meditation swim, and see how the uh, intervals played out. Did they make you faster during your constant swim? Measure your constant swim, your nonstop swim, see if you're any faster as a result of your intervals. And I was thinking a lot about um, pattern recognition and enlightenment and anxiety and depression based on uh, an interview I was listening to with The One You Feed. On one hand, the uh, the One You Feed podcast, uh, on one hand, we're pattern recognition machines and recognizing a pattern in life, like, oh, wow, uh, those kind of trees always have this kind of wood, and that's a good kind of tree to build. If I'm trying to build something, then that's a kind of tree over there and these kinds of uh animals have this kind of fat and meat or this kind of plant has this kind of food or that kind of mushroom has this kind of poison in it right so pattern recognition recognizing a pattern uh is how how humans have come to be where we are because we engineer our lives to be easier based on patterns stereotypes stuff because they work and they're efficient and actually, an IQ test is pattern recognition, from what I understand. Um, how quickly do you re recognize patterns? And it's not how smart you are, but how smart you could be. And smart, uh, based on human perspective, is how fast do you recognize, is knowing patterns, right? And, oh, there's, there's a lot of runners over here, so this would be a good place to run. So... If you find a, if you see a lot of runners, then and the more women runners, probably the safer and more enjoyable the the um, the run route will be. So that's a good place to go run. You know that kind of stuff makes life like really easy. But also, so recognizing a pattern gives you a moment of enlightenment, a flash. It turns on the light. Get it? Enlightenment. You're like, ah, oh, cool, and that makes you feel good. It gives you a little, I guess, a dopamine boost. Kind of like, ah, oh, I get it now. I get it. Right. And that's a moment of enlightenment. But he was saying kind of the opposite, this guest on the show. And he was saying, 
um, this constant search for patterns creates anxiety. And this whole first part that I was just talking about was all me. Um, he was saying that another uh, form of enlightenment was um, detaching from trying to find patterns all the time and just letting the world be because then you're egoing. You're like, there should be, should, you're shooting. Don't shoot all over the place. Stop shooting. <laughs> and when you quit trying to should, there should be a pattern here. I'm looking for a pattern for a pattern. Then um, it's, uh, you get some relaxation. And um, a, he was saying enlightenment. I'm like, well, that's a different form of enlightenment. There's two different kinds, actually. School of, school of Buddhism says there's two different two different schools of, of enlightenment. Is momentary that you can always come upon any moment and lose, and that's fine. That's good. And then constant enlightenment. And actually, I've had plenty of both. Um, but I never really recognized the mechanism behind constant enlightenment. So I just tried it. I was just sitting here. And there goes another runner. I uh, recommend it for you as well. You got to try it. Um, sit down where it's quiet. I was just doing this, like in your car, before you go in someplace. And quit trying to find a pattern. Quit trying to should. Quit trying to make sense of everything. And then you'll instantly feel like you just detached and uh, like an astronaut on a spacewalk, just boing. And uh, like when um, I did my Ultraman and I realized I was in so, something so big that I couldn't figure it out. I was just going to have to do it. I had a moment of um, a long moment, uh, two days of just boing, detached, float in space. <laughs> Don't know what to do. Quit trying to figure out the pattern. What happens, happens. It's not a thing. It's an action of just being. And, uh, yeah, it's actually, I was skeptical listening to it. And then I tried it and I was like, oh yeah, huh. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I knew it when I was doing it. I knew it, but I couldn't do it. And, uh, but I didn't know the mechanism behind it, like how to get there on purpose. And yeah, that's it. Huh. <sighs> I wonder, wonder if there's danger in trying not to find a pattern. Getting too, too uh, oh, that's just how things go. Because then you could just walk out in front of a car, not expecting the pattern of, well, the car's going to keep going and run over you. <laughs> I'm so in the moment of Zen. Look at me. Squish. So I wonder if you just do it in safe places or something. I don't know. Anyway, good stuff. I'm going to go in and... So, um, all right, I'll be back. I'll be. All right, that was a nice swim. Getting back into the female Zentri Mobile Studios, also known as the Estro Gym. <laughs> all right, good swim. Uh, man, I'm glad I actually did it, even though I'm late. I'm glad I went the full thing. 4,500 yards in less than an hour, which is a 119 pace, 119 per 100 yards pace. Uh, I think it took me 59 minutes and 45 seconds on the timer beep. I think that's a 56 minute Ironman swim, which is smoking. 
Um, I could feel the improvement from both the uh, the interval with the drag sheet workouts I've been doing, and then also um, the push run that I did the other day uh, with Kai. We went running together, and he ran four miles, I ran six, and he did a set of push-ups every mile with me. And I did a set of push-ups to be very careful not to re-injure my left arm. And especially if I haven't done push-ups in a while, you gotta be careful not to tear something up. Especially if you've been doing drag shoot intervals. I mean, that's a lot of stuff all at once, so you gotta be careful. So I was doing those, um, not to be sexist, but with um, my generation growing up called girl push-ups where your knees are on the ground. Um, I don't know, I would call them whatever they're actually really called now, um, if I knew what it was. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But they are plenty hard. <laughs> and it's an awesome way to um, get started and get in the groove to doing full push-ups, or you don't ever need to do full push-ups. You could do the other style with knees on the ground if you want, it doesn't bother me. Um, but the whole point is if, if you're getting a uh, good workout. And, oh, let's see. Oh, before the swim, I uh, did an Amrita bar. Oh, I got it right here. It is a strawberry, apricot strawberry Amrita bar. Drank it with a cup of coffee on the way to the pool. Had plenty of energy. Could have used a little bit more water. And because my stomach started getting a little bit upset because, you know, that's on, the top, that's on top of coffee and not much else. So there's not much to digest it there. So more water would have been better. But otherwise, it was great. It had solid energy the entire time. Um, only started to fade the tiniest bit, um, like the last seven minutes or something like that, which is really impressive after keeping up a pace like that of 119. So, everything is getting better, man. Better, better, better. And just real quick, talking about pattern recognition and enlightenment. Um, <laughs> the very next podcast in my queue was the uh, You Are Not So Smart podcast. And it's all about confirmation bias and tricks that the world plays on you and things like that. And the first part of it, he goes into a long bit about humans being pattern recognition machines. And it's because we look for patterns that stand out against the white noise. Because if we notice a pattern, that means that we could be being hunted by a lion. And uh, cheetahs, you know, with their, uh, with their uh, dots, their spots and dots, are trying to break up their pattern. Camouflage is trying to break up the pattern so you can't see it so that they can eat you and the reason we are so happy and good at uh, recognizing patterns is because if you detect a pattern it's going to be great and actually and we lean towards that direction of feeling good about detecting patterns even if there isn't even a pattern there we still like finding a pattern because you'd rather be think you see a pattern and be wrong then be food <laughs> I love the way that was put that's exactly what I was trying to say the world will eat you alive if you're not um, used to seeing patterns and that's how we got here today anyway that's it nice swim uh, something about today being world running day international running day 
uh, Tri Boomer sent me a message by Facebook saying, what, what are you going to do today? And actually, I might be running this evening. We'll see on how hot it is and, and what else is going on with the, the fizzy fam. All right, that's it. Out, bang. Oh, wait. We've got a discount code for Amrita Bars. I'll bring it to you in just a minute. I don't have it on me while I'm uh, trying to trying to uh, record. But it's something like uh, Amrita Team 2017. But, man, Amrita Bars rock, dude. They are so good. Love them. Uh, I feel so... I feel good that you're eating one because you know, it's all this low-carb, high-fat stuff. Amrita Bars do have fat in them. And even though the carbs... It's got plenty of carbs. The carbs also come with fiber, and it's not really low carb that you want, but you want, as a triathlete, you want slow carb. You need your carbs. You just don't need them coming at you like a shotgun. You need them coming at you a slow trickle, cold trickle, of days of days of thunder carbs. <laughs> All right, that's it. Out bang. We are out back again in the backyard. I was listening to, well, I just, I, get, I don't know, should I do, um, yeah, I should do workout numbers first and then do what I was thinking about. But I worry I'm going to forget what I was thinking about. <laughs> there will always be more stuff. Just ran, it's, it is National Running Day, International Running Day, World Running Day, anyway. I really wasn't planning on running today, but I did anyway, and kind of glad I did. I took a nice little video of the countryside road near my house. I'll post that on Instagram in a little bit, but um, out like maybe three and a quarter miles, 3.3 miles, and back the same. Uh, really hot on the way out, a little bit of a tailwind. Uh it is humid and warm. I saw a feels like, you know, heat index. What are my dogs doing? Oh, they've decided there's something in the vines over there. And uh, a feels like heat index of 108, I think, I saw today. So it wasn't much better this evening. And anyway running into the wind on the way back was really nice so uh, I was glad that I did an out with the wind and a back with the wind you should always do that if you can if you're running because the out with the wind um, you're just getting warmed up and you're not uh, you're not getting overheated yet and if there's any time that you're going to be okay with that is when you just start out on the way back when you're starting to build up heat you get that nice cooling effect on the way back anyway noticed um, well I ran a road that I haven't run in a long time and I ran it without much trouble at all in my Nike Freeze which really seemed to be helping out with um, plantar fasciitis healing of all things it's kind of weird but with those it allows me to actually stretch out my arches instead of crunching them up and protecting them kind of forced to expose them and then that stretches them out it's really weird because you hear the opposite but then I'm wondering if my injury is one that uh, I'm scratching my head like I'm really thinking uh, my injury was one of of uh, 
the muscle eventually getting more and more tightened and bound up from underusing it and protecting it and not having strong feet because I was clenching them and they were getting just more and more bound like George Costanza, the hand model. Fell in love with his own hand until it became a claw. <laughs> uh, and let's see. Two, uh, well, one moment of Zen and another interesting training tip. A ritual podcast. Two guys on there talking about peak performance. All stuff pretty much heard before. Um, still a nice episode. And God, it seems like everybody, everybody's going to have some tragedy, you know, to make them interesting. What about people that are just doing it right their whole lives? They're just not interesting, you know? So, like, on the Ritual Podcast, one guy was a, he was a four-minute miler, 401 in high school, and then washed up. So that's why he's a great coach. <laughs> it's like, what? I mean, but that's true, though. That's what we're attracted to. We're attracted to people that are real. You know, that are flawed. And the other guy was some kind of attorney or something like that and was working in the White House at age 22 and then completely blew up and couldn't take it anymore. So people that failed miserably are uh, the ones we hold as our, and then come back from that, are the ones we hold as our heroes. I mean, it's kind of like Odysseus, Homer, that Homer wrote, you know, he got sent away from home and it's the coming back home proves that you know what you're doing. Because if you're just born into it, if you're born royalty, who cares if you're king? Well, that wasn't hard. It's pretty much handed to you. But if you um, you uh, put yourself, Buddha, put yourself in poverty on purpose. That's a really good example, actually. And then become worshipped. Well, that's on its own merit. You figured it out yourself. Like we we uh, find people who were fat, grossly overweight, and then lost all the weight, and um, became thinner. You know, we want to go to them for advice. I guess it's because we can identify with them. But uh, the person that was born skinny and then stayed skinny, it's like, well, you're probably not even trying, even though they might be. They might be trying their ass off and just stayed there. You know, one that one that does actually. That's just normal. The one that does uh, make me um, cringe, I don't like, is the person who was a terrible criminal and then reformed himself. And that person, if that person's worship, you don't hear about that one very much, but it still does happen. What about the uh, person who never got in trouble <laughs> in spite of all the opportunities to get in trouble all day long? That's hard, man. They're pretty much non-interesting. Anyway, I went off on a tangent. The, uh, something to think about. My dog is trying to climb a wooden latticework because there's some kind of creature up in the, up in the ivy. God, I hope it's not that big-ass snake. Oh, this dog is so much work. You, you inherit the children you deserve. That's what I heard. If dogs are children, they teach you about yourself. So anyway... Peak performance, um, these guys were saying scientific studies show that all this uh, compression this, compression that, if you're doing it for recovery, that actually um, just sitting waist deep in water 
is just as effective. It's just as much compression. The, the hydrostatic pressure of water is actually just as effective. I don't know about that. That's just what they were saying. So like Normatec boots, for example. Um, now, that's post-workout. You can't sit waist-deep in water when you're um, running. So I still think the, um, the compression socks while doing a, a long trail run or you know, a triathlon might be, um, still might be worth it. Because obviously it helps if pressure helps or you recover. Drinking a little bit of wine and water, ice water mixed together. It's my recovery drink. I have some ice cream here in a second. And then, um, there was something else. I'll listen to some crickets while I, uh, while I think of what it was. Oh yeah, I'm listening to a, um, two different audiobooks. No More Mr. No More Mr. Nice Guy, which I've already talked about. And then, um, The Effective Executive, which is, might be a little bit of an older book, but it's, uh, it's really good. And uh, my buddy Morgan recommended it to me. So I'm listening to that. I'm kind of alternating back and forth to kind of mix it up. I thought, why not? Why am I trying to stick with one book and getting bored of it and forcing myself to do it? Why not alternate back and forth every once in a while? And there was a good saying in there. If you're doing something, ask yourself, if you were to start right now, would you be doing that thing? Something that you're like embedded in, something that you're doing, you know, taking care of a pool, mowing a yard, um, meetings, this one meetings group that you're involved in. And you're kind of feeling like, um, I don't know, training for, you know, training for a race. And it, you're, you know, you're deep in it. You're in the habit of working on it. You know, something that you're doing all the time. Ask yourself, is this something that like, if I was starting it right, if I was given a choice to start it right now, you know, to take care of this thing, to be in these meetings, to run this project or anything like that, would I take it on now? Uh, knowing what I know now and if the answer is no then see if you can stop <laughs> and get out of it you're training for a, um, uh, an Ironman that's far away and you realize it's going to conflict with your summer plans with your family and stuff and you're like okay knowing what I know now should I continue on digging this hole or should I um, should I stop what, would I would I if I was starting now, would I start? If the answer is no, then stop. And then something else occurred to me uh, because I got Kai the um, the the Way of the Warrior, the Path of the Warrior Kid, or Way of the Warrior Kid book, audio book, no paperback book. And I was thinking when I was a kid, a lot of the stuff I read were college books and book books that. Um, my parents had in this little small library very very small just a almost a bedroom sized room that had a TV and a small couch in it and then on one wall was a bookshelf that was it wasn't fancy and not tons of books but you know floor to ceiling maybe eight feet tall and uh, eight feet wide you know big bookshelf full of books and I would if I was bored, I'd go over there and pick out a book and I'd read it. So I read a lot of stuff that was adult books, you know, not adult, adult, but, you know, grown-up books um, written for grown-ups as a kid. 
and learned a lot of stuff. I learned about Kung Fu, I learned about beekeeping. <laughs> I don't know, just random shit. And Shakespeare. When I took um, Honors English my senior year in high school and we were reading Hamlet. I think it was Hamlet. No, Macbeth? I don't remember. But anyway, I happened to have my mom's college-level book on Hamlet um, that she had underlined all the important parts. And my mom was way better of a student than I ever could have been. She was amazing. And so to have that in class, all this annotation, was so inspiring and so cool, and I knew so much, and I got it. She had underlined, you know, the puns that were going on in there in the the double entendre, which Shakespeare's so good at. Uh, oh, whoever. Oh, Hamlet. Oh, old fa- uncle. I'm already too much in the sun. Get it? Come over here in the sun where I can see you. And he's like, oh, I'm already too much in the sun. He's like, I don't want to be your son. Double meaning with being in the sun. And I remember my mom had underlined that. So I'm sitting there thinking, I am listening to all these amazing audiobooks. I have listened to dozens on fear and productivity and standing up for yourself and endurance and willpower and all this cool stuff and these books are gone they're I mean I have I own them but they're not in paperback and if I had these books um, paperback laying around Kai would be reading them so I don't know what to do I'm like well, one is to buy them, but another is to, I mean, I read my dad's books, too. He had all these books on Vietnam, like the really interesting ones. Chicken Hawk was a good one, and Sniper, American Sniper, or whatever, Marine Sniper. Yeah, just two off the top of my head. Just so good. And um, I learned a lot about the difficulty of war and, uh, the, you know, world politics and stuff. Hunt for Red October, Stephen King, you know, because of my dad. And while we're missing something, I'm listening to all these books. So I'm learning, but they're not laying around for my son to learn them. So I, I Googled and found out, yeah, you can have multiple accounts for Audible. So I guess I'll try that first. I'll say, hey, do you want... And, and multiple... You can put on multiple devices so he can have access to all the books that I'm listening to. So I'll see if he wants to do that. And if it doesn't take, then I guess I'm going to start buying the my favorite books and then leaving them around the house. You know? Anyway, that's it. That's all my thoughts. I'm going to go inside. Whew. That's it. Out, bang. Right, it is Thursday morning on my way to W to the ERK. Scratching my head again. And uh, had a nice little bike ride this morning. <clears throat> Some tricks to uh, get up and get moving. Well, first off, if you get up, I noticed when I got up that I didn't have trouble getting up, and that's a sign that you've got, uh, that you got enough sleep. And then I was like, oh yeah, I did go to sleep on time last night. Go to bed around 9.30 wake up around 4.30, 4.20, 4.30, 4.30, 4.30, 4.30, 4.30, 4.30, 4.30, 4.30, 4.30, 4.30, 4.30, 4.30, 4.30, 4.30, 4.30,
420. And uh, if you think that's nuts, it's not. It's just what uh, productive people can do if if they find it necessary. And uh, no problem getting up. And then made a cup of coffee, drank that, and then uh, took an ashwagandha pill, which is, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. What, what is the, the phrase for it? Oh, something that makes you feel good. And then, uh, it's an herb. And then an L-theanine pill. I like to take those several times a day. Those are my supplements I like to take. Those are nice. And then uh, a little bit of like this hippie uh, organic cereal. Uh, it had flax seed and pumpkin seed in it, I think. Flax and pumpkin. Uh, it's kind of granola-y-ish, but with coconut milk. So I get my saturated fat. And then um, what was the other thing that went with it? Oh, a big spoonful of hemp powder. Add a little bit more protein to it. And not a huge bowl. It's kind of a small to medium-sized bowl. Ate that. And then surfed the internet for a little bit. Letting that digest. Kind of get a uh, view of the weather and the day and all that. Then had a... Oh, have a timer for 15 minutes of meditation. Sit back. I have my laptop with my to-do list in my lap. But I kick back close my eyes in a darkish room and uh, try not to think, let all the thoughts run out of my head. And as I think of things, write them down on my laptop, on my to-do list. But don't try to do anything about them. Just kind of let them until your breathing is nice and relaxed and there's no more things. You're like, oh, I got everything written down. And that's my version of meditation right now. And then after that, get my bike stuff together, hopped on my bike, and then did a, um, a high-end zone two workout on the uh, bicicleta. And set a, um, I wouldn't call it a PR, well, it's kind of a recent PR for my uh, goal. Oh, we're caught up with traffic. Got an accident up man. And ooh, boy, it's an ugly one. We got a, a bad uh, exit ramp thing where um, we got people coming on on the on ramps on the right hand side, but also the major exit into town from the suburbs. <laughs> the one suburb in College Station is a um, a left handed exit because it was made a long time ago, back when they thought it wouldn't be a problem. And now it's going to be a little bit of a problem. So it looks like I'm backed up a little bit. But anyway, on the bike, uh, one and a half scoops of maltodextrin powder, which is like 150 calories maybe. Um, so that's just enough to make uh, to give you a little bit of pep, but without spiking your blood sugar. And plus, I just ate cereal like uh, 45 minutes before that, maybe an hour before that. And, um, and I don't start drinking it until I'm actually on the bike and pedaling because if you drink stuff, uh, if you drink faster acting stuff and uh, coffee well before you get on the bike, you'll have a blood sugar spike and then a crash. So my trick 
is to yeah you can have fast acting sugar ish stuff fast acting carbs but only after you've uh, started moving on the bike and then your body you can't supply your body fast enough with that kind of stuff if you're uh, cruising along so you're burning uh, 800 calories per hour <laughs> but you're um, oh well you're taking in 200, 300, 400 but you're burning 800 so at that point it's barely even touching your, you don't get an insulin rise out of it so it's okay that's what, that's what I'm going with and then you have a good workout and then you're hydrated because you're drinking water with it and it helps you transport all that stuff. But anyway, I did a, something interesting and new. Anytime you're not really motivated for a workout, try something new. So like last night's run, I was kind of like, uh, do I really want to run? But it's world whatever running day, you know, I should really uh, run if I can. And I'm like, oh, I'll run somewhere different that I haven't run in a while. And then that was cool because you're kind of exploring. You're like, what is, what's going to happen? <laughs> and this uh, morning, I was like, oh, I'm going to try something cool. Salt Stick, which is a sponsor. I, um, they make chewables, which are kind of lime-flavored. Lemon-lime, citrus. They're really good. I crushed a, a chewable into uh, my water bottle. That's also my fuel bottle, right? And it drops a couple of cubes of ice in it to keep it cool. And I have, uh, I barely tasted it, actually. But I'm wondering if that really helped my workout. I had a fantastic workout doing that. And you're like, uh, hey, Brett, I got something that I want to crush up and put in my bottles or whatever. Something I want to crush up in life. And I can't get it to crush. It's too hard because I tried, I tried crushing it with my thumb. And I was like, oh, man, this is uh, too much work, dude. This sucks. <laughs> so there's two ways. One, you can crush it with your teeth. And then take a mouthful of water and then spit the water back into your bottle. So, like, say you're riding along the bike and in a little Ziploc bag, you got a little tiny little Ziploc. You've got salt capsules or uh, chewables or something like that. And you want to crush them up, not eat it all at once and get it, mix it in with your water. Uh, Put it in your mouth, crush it, and then take a mouthful of water and uh, then swish it around your mouth and then force it back into your water bottle by uh, spitting that mouthful of water back in. And boom, you've got your uh, stuff diluted and mixed um, without taking too much of it all at once. The other one, because I'm in the kitchen and we have this like junk utility drawer, is I grab pliers. <laughs> and I crushed it with pliers. I've done that before. It works really well. And uh, yeah. So that's how I mixed it up. But I think uh, my average watts was like 240 watts. Average heart rate like 132, 135, and average 22 point something miles per hour. And this includes a lot of elevation gain. There's some uh, some big hills, and did some standing and climbing on the uh, bigger hills to help stretch out my plantar fasciitis and my ankle and stuff. All on flat pedals with my old running shoes on. Which, if that blows your mind, believe me, it blows my mind too that it's actually possible to do that. But a really, really nice uh, bike ride. And, oh, and then I um, went over to the pool. I got I got out and uh, made some ice water. Uh, walked out back to the pool, hopped in, got chest deep, and then tested the chlorine. And the chlorine is low. Oh, my God, it's so low. I got scoops of chlorine. Clorox makes chlorine for the pool. 
interestingly enough, and uh, threw two scoops in, scooped out the dead mouse that was in the pool, which is uh, suboptimal, and then uh, got my stuff together and got to the whizzy work. All right, that's it. Got to go out. Bang. All right, homies, leaving the pool. Nice little swim, doing intervals. <sighs> Didn't really feel like doing uh, long distance without stopping. So I did my other thing that I like to do, which is drag shoot. Five minutes warm up. Swimming, you can warm up swimming really easily. It's the, swimming to me is the fastest thing to warm up. You need the least amount of time to get going. And then five minutes the drag shoot and then alternating five minutes easy five minutes drag shoot doing things by time and kind of rounding it up rounding it down you know it doesn't have to be exactly five minutes it's kind of whenever you get to the wall and just every once in a while looking at your watch while you swim and uh, when doing drag shoot alternating breathing cadence is higher so you can do um you can breathe both sides <clears throat> and get enough, uh, what do you call it, bilateral breathing. And, um, and that works things evenly, straightens out your stroke. And then working on, towards the end, was getting high elbow and uh, on the catch, Sun Yang style. Now really working it, man. Really, like, I got a little bit of shoulder pain. So I got to be careful with the push run. And then uh, when just doing regular swimming, uh, regular freestyle breathing uh, right side mostly and then on occasion left side so interesting stuff that happened during that oh workout well see first off last night I was going to run and then I decided not to and I decided to stay true with my running not uh, taking breaks every other day while I'm still healing and not running uh, every day in a row because well, I just felt like it. Felt kind of tired and uh, feet hurt. And then we got a new recliner chair, and so I uh, was busy propping my feet up in that anyway, <laughs> and kicking back. And uh, never had one in my entire life. And I got a recliner chair, and I'm just like, oh man, this is rad. And then uh, woke up. Oh, the downside. I woke up and weighed myself, and. Uh, gained a couple pounds and it's because I did eat like I was going to go work out later. I ate at like six o'clock as if, um, yeah, that I was going to go run <laughs> and then I never ran. And then I woke up this morning. And I'm like, what the hell? And I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't run last night. And, oh man, there was a, oh, there was a guy in the laying next to me while I was swimming, a guy I've never seen before, or that I didn't recognize, and look like a younger guy, probably in his 20s, uh, skinny, and um, he was doing something that, that was really, one thing that was really cool that people need to know about if you're not doing it, is you can print out your workout on paper, write it on paper, and I say make a copy of it, and always have copies of it, keep it in a Ziploc, but anyway, stick it to a, uh, kickboard or the edge of the pool one or the other but he was looking at his kickboard with a paper water makes it stick to it 
really nice. And then uh, because his workout seemed really complicated, he was doing this and then resting and then doing that and then resting. And then he was doing stuff where he was getting out and then running on the deck, like running in place and then uh, swimming back in and then fast and slow and da da da. And then one time he tried uh, swimming faster than me, which he did plenty of times. But one time we were going the same speed, and then I was like, "Dude, I gotta, I gotta show this guy that I'm fast." <laughs> which is what happens in the pool. It's pretty funny. Whenever you get two people side by side, people start speeding up, especially dudes. And then, uh, so that was really cool. The workout on the side of the pool, um, doing swimming and then getting out and running. But also, I wanted to share the contrast in. Uh, the some of what he was doing looked like sprint work. It's kind of hard to tell um, because I'm kind of focused on my own thing. But the difference in um, what works, what what I'm doing, and what so many, 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 many other people do for swimming is so different. The contrast is so huge, and what what he was doing and what so many people are doing is great for short distance swimming and we're talking 50s 100s 200s maybe up to 400s and 800s but we and I don't know what he's racing what his specialty is he may be training for a sprint triathlon and then that's perfect right no big deal but I seem to be the only person that I know of <laughs> that is swimming like how we train for long distance endurance on the bike and on the run, which is my, on my opinion, in my opinion, I used to swim the fast way and then the uh, short distance way. And then I switched over from the long distance way. I'm much happier doing it, but I came upon it upon my own and I never see anybody else doing this, but I took what works on the bike and on the run and especially on the bike and then moved it over to swimming because the results are so impressive on the bike and it is long sustained efforts of of uh, hard with a little bit of lactic burn in it so the the jewel and the crown of endurance training on the bike is for Ironman for example is 20 minute intervals and just as many of them as you can do 20 minutes and it's because they're longer and they teach your muscles to endure sustained uh, exposure to a heavier load and that lifts your FTP if your functional threshold uh, power it lifts what you can sustain for an hour by doing 20 minute intervals. Turns out an Ironman swim is about an hour if you're fast. And even if you're not fast, it's still like an hour, 10, hour 20, hour 30, right? So it's not that much different. And so why aren't we doing in the in the uh, pool longer intervals with sustained, you know, eight out of 10, nine out of 10 effort level? And I just can't seem to find anybody else that's doing it. And I keep preaching it. And it keeps working. And still, it's kind of like how um, Greg LeMond was like, hey, we could use aero bars in this race. 
And then people are like, yeah. And, but why would you? That's terrible. No one else does that. And he's like, yeah, but it's faster. And like, well, no one else does that. And he's like, but it's faster. <laughs> yeah, but no one else does that. And he's like, okay, but I can do it. And they said, yeah. And then he goes, okay. And then he did it. And then he won the Tour de France because it's faster. It's, swimming is so entrenched with this, uh, with what works for swim team, for swim meets, for the, you know, for, uh, for the 100. And getting people to even consider doing what what I've been doing and really works is just impossible. I know you guys are. You're thinking about it. Listen to it because y'all listen. But when I um, when I post about it uh, in places, I just get like, yeah. Well, I'm not gonna. People will go, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> So I was swimming side by side with somebody and it was the difference was so crazy. I was doing five minutes easy, five minutes hard because the drag shoot makes it hard. You know, basically like a five minute hill. And then very little rest. Because on the bike, that's exactly what you do. You do five minutes easy, five minute hill, five minute easy, five minute hill, right? Or five minutes easy, 10 minute hill, whatever. But you don't get off your bike and walk around the room you know, or you out on the road, you don't get on your bike and then walk around. <laughs> Imagine that. That would be crazy. It, or you're on a longer run. You know, you don't stop and then walk around and uh, look at a piece of paper for a while. You, uh, you keep going and that builds up mileage and uh, it builds up, you know, body awareness and stuff. So he's doing He's doing uh, sprints, rest, sprints, resting at the wall, sprints, resting at the wall. And uh, I was doing um, essentially never stop. I'm stopping long enough to either put a drag shoot on or drag shoot off and then put it and then go right back into what I was doing. That's a lot. You know, half the time going right back into what I was doing was easy, was just uh, push off and then start some easy freestyle to recover from the uh, from the hard work and let the a- lactic acid you know get out of my body or uh, metabolize you know get out of the way and then feel fresh again so I could do another long sustained effort and um, anyway that was crazy that to be side by side with somebody doing it differently but then I found that when you you're out there for an hour plus during an Ironman swim or half an hour plus for a half Ironman swim, you can sustain the, the, uh, eight out of 10 effort that you put down so easily because you're used to doing five minutes of nine out of 10. So you back it off a little bit, man, you could do it for an hour. It's, it's so great. Oh man, it's the best. I love it. And you don't have to memorize any workouts. You don't have to sit there and try to think of what to do next. And your yardage just keeps adding up and adding up and adding up because you're not stopping. Okay, that's the end of my rant on that. Anyway, there's a really old guy. Well, he's not really that old. But he's a retired older guy that's... Um, <laughs> I should have said that. Really old guy. He's not at all. He's probably 70. Maybe 67 or 65. But anyway... And he does Ironmans and everything. He's got uh, type 2 diabetes, and we talk in the locker room because he kind of just came down with it. And from heavy exposure to lots of lots of carbs and simple carbs, 
um, through, you know, 20 years of doing triathlon. And he found a new kind of insulin that he really likes that the, um, they chain it together, the insulin molecules, and it's terse, terse something. And the way I remember it is by Toshiba TV. So it sounds kind of like Toshiba TV, whatever it is. So if, uh, and he said it was new on the market, uh, it was new to him at least. So if you, um, if you have type two diabetes and you want better blood sugar control, it's got like a slower release. Um, go check that out. That was pretty cool. And we were talking about vitiligo, which is autoimmune. Your body attacks your own melanin cells, which I've got a bit of on my face. It, uh, it shows up if I'm in the sun a lot. You can see it. Um, a lot of times people can't even tell, but it's there and it's from stress. And I said that, um, it seemed to start coming up when I started trying to do uh, low carb, high, high fat, low carb. And the, um, the stress on the body of training without enough carbs and the bonking really, really hard and stuff, just trying too hard may have, may have done it because, um, low carb can disrupt your uh, thyroid, uh, system. So you got to watch out for that. If you're doing uh, low carb and then doing triathlon training, you can stress the fuck out of your body and then, uh, cause, um, autoimmune attack. Uh, my wife's got type one diabetes, the beautiful Emily Zentri nurse. And, um, she got it. That's an autoimmune where your body freaks out. And that could have been caused by the stress. She got it right when we got married. So she was in school trying to graduate and we were getting married and something else. Uh, she had gotten sick with something else and all that stress together, they think might've caused it. Um, there's also a virus that causes, they think, uh, type 1 diabetes, but the virus could be present all the time and then the stress weakens you and then the virus has an opportunity to actually attack. You know, it's complicated. They don't know yet. Um, be nice if they, if it's a virus, they could develop a vaccine for it. But they don't, if it, if it is a virus, they're not sure which one it is. But anyway, that's it. That was my crazy morning workout. A lot of stuff going through my mind. <laughs> Anyway, uh, more in a bit. Bang. All right, it is Monday morning. I don't know if I mentioned it already, but Friday evening, I ran, I went out for a run, and I was doing my three-loop thing. And after the, about halfway through my second loop, I was feeling really good, and I thought I would try to beat Kai's um, lap time. And he ran... I think a seven a seven twenty one pace for just over two miles, which was like high high fifteen minutes total, and I uh, I ran the loop <laughs> almost as fast as I could. I mean, I was chugging along, just trying to keep it in mind. I'm like, you're forty three, don't have a heart attack. You never know. You never know. Just be cool. And uh, so I was holding back just a tiny bit, but I was so stoked that I beat his time. And I beat it by, um, I wish I only beat it by a couple seconds. And uh, next time, I'll, maybe I'll try to figure out how to time myself better. But I beat his time by 22 seconds or something like that. 
if I beat it by just a second or two, then he would, you know, feel like it's easy to go back and beat me. But anyway, I ran a 7.11 pace for the 2.2 miles. It's got a little hill, not much, just gentle hills. And um, it's super exciting. So that was Friday night. And uh, I told him, and he got all like, what? <laughs> I'm going to go out there and beat you. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then um, Saturday morning, he and I went mountain biking, and it was awesome. I let him lead. And uh, it's frustrating at first because I want him to go faster. But by the end, he tried to sneak attack, which meant that he felt good. And we did almost two hours, an hour and 52 minutes. And um, he st- he snuck attack around while we were climbing up a hill. I was videoing him behind me because he looked so pro. And he, uh, it's on Instagram, the moment where he drops me on the climb and I'm all trying to put my phone away to try to catch him. And that was awesome. That was such an awesome bike ride. Uh, that was Saturday morning, I think Saturday evening. Oh, we went to go see Wonder Woman, which was a really good movie. And you can tell it was directed by a woman because um, women just have such a knack for a, a gift for making things sustainable and things have quality and and uh, community and depth and um, sustainability. And uh, Wonder Woman was just like any other action hero movie, but with all those things I just mentioned interwoven in it just almost imperceptibly like but it was there if you know what you're looking for you see it and i highly recommend it and it's emily's um favorite superhero she loves wonder woman and that's we were like the only thing that was missing was linda carter should have been in it as like the old queen or something like that Um, i don't know why maybe there's some legal thing or something but anyway and then we had um Linda Carter was the old Wonder Woman and was a knockout whenever she was doing it back in the day in the 70s and early 80s maybe and then Sunday morning I went for a long bike ride and uh, did three hours on the dot got a three hour route made out which is perfect loved it Um, I made an Instagram video and posted it of my bike setup and it was a four minute plus long video and then I realized uh, Instagram only allows you to do one minute at a time. So I had to make four minutes and it was got, got a little maddening. But it's under some trees, just relaxed out there. Uh, I was cooling down from uh, biking so I could put on some sunscreen and let the sweat evaporate a little bit before I put on all the sunscreen. And then it was really hot. Oh, there's lots of details in there. And that you got to go check out the videos on how to set up your bike for a long hot ride, especially in the summer, long bike rides, long hot rides. And then in the afternoon and evening, I was doing coaching and catching up on stuff. And um, I was listening to a podcast, Trail Runner Nation. And one of the interviews was this guy, I think he's Serbian or something like that. And he's got a really cool accent. He lives in Canada, though. And uh, they were talking all about him barefoot running and stuff. And I used to barefoot run a bunch. I um, I was big into it. I loved it. It's what turned me into a almost a decent runner. Was discovering how my body likes uh, that that kind of running form way better. I uh, 
I won like a charity 5k one time barefoot and the brick streets of Tyler and the uh, I think my longest ever barefoot run was 10 miles but I used to go out barefoot run all the time I was I'm pretty much addicted to it where I um, I didn't want to run in regular shoes because I'd gotten so used to barefoot running it was so nice and I don't think I'll ever go all the way back to that because I ended up almost getting one of those sesamoid bone. I got my sesamoid bone in my left foot kind of inflamed. And it's hard to tell if it was cycling or running that did it. But, um, and that, that's fine right now, so I don't want to mess with it too much. But anyway, listening to that, it got me inspired and, and got me stupid. And I went out and um, barefoot ran my uh, six-mile loop. And first lap was fine, and second lap started to burn and third lap uh, was really burning <laughs> on my foot. Oh, there was a copperhead snake a couple of days ago. Big ass one. They're always out there. So that was kind of fun. That was the challenge. And of, of uh, am I brave enough to run where there's snakes? But anyway, um, I don't have pain as far as like impact. But because I've, I've barefoot run forever, it's just been a while. It's kind of like riding a bicycle. You, you learn the form. It's uh, the friction actually gets you for a little bit. I think I, I ran six and a half miles barefoot last night. And only one time did I step on something that I was like, ow, and I had to stop. And uh, that actually rarely happens when you run barefoot. Um, I can do 10 runs and never step on anything. But anyway, uh, so that was fun. And that was late last night. So anyway, I go this morning to go swim and I can tell that I'm just fatigued and my pace is off I was going to do an hour continuous um, even though I was wide awake and ready to go and I think I was just um, cashed out from my lungs being tired from um, all the working out this weekend I, I did probably a couple hours more than I usually have and one one thing faster you know, that fast run trying to beat Kai's time. And uh, so my lower body, my lungs were a little bit cooked and my lower body was a little bit cooked, my legs. Um, I think I did four hours yesterday, over four hours of working out. That's a lot, you know. Uh, that's a that's a jump from like two hours. Doing a lot of stuff around the house because we're moving. And the, um, so I got halfway through my swim and I go, man, this sucks. Because I was struggling. And I said, oh, so I grabbed a pool boy. And I made an Instagram video of it after my swim. I made it this morning. And put that between my legs and then swam. And that takes the load off your legs for one thing. Uh, and it frees up energy for your lungs. And it allows you to work your arms. Which is why I was there in the first place. My legs are tired, man. I don't need to, to uh, do anything else with them. And also, it allows the water to, uh, to heal your legs. You're not really using them, but they're in the water. And... Yeah, it really focuses the energy on your arms, but also improves your glide and improves your form. And I got an idea, man. Uh, let me know. Send me a, a message on Twitter if you think so, too. Um, Monday mornings, or your first swim, if it's Monday or maybe even Tuesday, after a, um, after a big weekend of training, maybe it should be, you know, pool boy pretty much only to... Uh, Take the load off your legs. Your legs are already tired, and, and uh, you want to work your upper body instead. Uh, if you didn't swim over the weekend, and um, over the weekend we tend to bike and run a lot, and I thought it was like really smart. I was like, "Oh man, this is 
uh, pretty educated there, Coach Brett. Coach yourself. All right. That's it. I need to go into W2ERK. Have some coffee. All right. Out, Bane. All right. I am in front of my house. Just finished a morning run. It's Tuesday. And wow. I've been doing the uh, ketones for a few days, supplemental ketones, adding them in, noticing that they do suppress appetite somewhat. And you take it with some MCT oil and it gives you more ketones and slows them down a little bit because if you take them unopposed, then they'll act really fast. 15 minutes in, you'll feel buzz and then it'll wear off in about an hour. And I want them to last a little bit longer. So got up this morning, a cup of coffee, scoop of perfect keto chocolate salt um, I found some that are half that price so stay tuned on that I need to test those out but anyway chocolate sea salt is actually pretty good with coffee makes your coffee taste like hot cocoa with a drip of gasoline in it <laughs> and salt and um, oh and then after that a scoop of you can uh, with water Check that down and went out for a run. And what I've noticed, I've been doing this a few times. I went for a three hour bike ride on this same formula with no breakfast. Went almost as fast as I usually do, but noticed just easy breathing, relaxed, chill. Um, and I'm running my uh, old route, which is making me happy. It's got some hills in it. Feeling really, really good. So I'm definitely out there saying that ketones are a fuel. And I'm too new to it to really explain it much more than that. Supplemental ketones, where you buy them and take them. But um, you definitely feel them. And I'm definitely having a good time. I'm able to do workouts without any extra carbs. And it feels nice. I had a PR swim on it. Broke my little swim record. I think I mentioned that. And, um, yeah. So it definitely gets you over the hump of, uh, of if you want to go ketosis for a little bit, then uh, no, no, like, um, usually if you just try to get into ketosis by going low carb, high fat, you would, um, get these, uh, you know, angst and not feeling good. And this, uh, you feel good. And then I think it trains your body to start using ketones. So I think that's it. I'm about to go into the house and uh, hear all the birds. We moved to a place with a lot more birds. Oh, they just got quiet. Okay, out, bang. All right, cool, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. Let's see, next week I am going to scout camp in Bastrop, Texas. I'm in charge of a Boy Scout troop. <laughs> I'm going to teach them how to be badasses out in the woods, mostly. They're the, it's the younger group, and I'm in charge of them. So mostly I'm teaching them how not to uh, kill themselves or each other or cut themselves with pocket knives and how to burn their own tents down 
especially with them in it, and um, how to eat enough and drink enough in the Texas summer heat. It's in the Pine Forest, which is pretty cool, um, to stay cool and earn some merit badges and have fun and have adventures together. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So a full week of that kind of stuff. No biking or running, really, unless I can sneak away and run. But since I'm the one in charge of our troop, um, there's going to be a whole bunch of troops there then um, I really can't get away for that long. So I may be taking a break from uh, working out for a week. I won't even know what to do with myself. That's more like five, six days. So that'll be uh, super cool. And on that note, I might be going to San Diego again um, later this summer. And on a whole other note, I got an email from Vasa, who does the, um, the dry land swim trainer. And we're talking about maybe striking up a deal where I can get some time on one and promote it on the show. I'm a big believer in those things, uh, doing resistance training to improve your swim. And getting to the pool is a real pain in the ass. And getting in the pool is even more of a pain in the ass. And then um, if you can do pretty much what makes you stronger in swimming right at your house uh, or at the gym, then uh, I'm all for it. So we're going to stay tuned and, and we're going to see what pans out with that. Hopefully we can strike up a deal. That'll be pretty cool. And uh, also I'm uh, really enjoying my Sunto Spartan Ultra. They just did a software update and uh, added more features to it. I went back to using my Garmin for a couple of days and I miss my Spartan. Spartan is so professional looking. Where did it work? It's glossy and all black. It's pretty cool. Looked very executive with that thing on. And um, the Bluetooth alerts on it are spectacular. All right, so that is it. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down out. Oh, yeah.